welcome to Moralia Python Radio with your hosts, Eric Burke and Owen McIntyre. Good evening, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Moralia Python Radio. Tonight, we are talking reptilinks. That's right. Nick, I'm going to get his name right, Hebley is back. (laughs) And, uh... He is uh, coming on to talk about his company, Reptilinks. Um, it is uh, basically, uh, he'll be better to explain it, but uh, basically it is a alternative to, what are you typing on your keyboard or something? No, what? <laughs> I was like, here. No, tick, I'm just, tick, tick, oh my God, no, tick. I'm not doing anything. God, God damn it, every week. <laughs> yeah. It's always um, something. <laughs> uh yeah so uh we're going to we're going to delve into that and um you know what are the advantages of uh of using this uh how to use it uh you know uh has uh he seen any uh observations when it comes to uh better growth reductions in RIs uh you know better color better clutches et cetera et cetera et cetera so mm-hmm. uh should be an awesome show uh, but before we get into that, uh, we do have the booster shirt, nah. uh, and that is live. And we had to do um, what fifty shirts? I, I, I said the goal at fifty to be small because every once in a while, you know, it's one of those. I think we've overshot it before, and uh, it's better to have the goal low and then exceed it than to have it where you know we never ever have any hope of reaching it so yeah so what's the details on that Owen? break that down for us well what we got is the booster's been live for a few days and you guys only have a few days more to get the shirts out we were a little late in getting everything rolling and uh it will be a miracle if anybody gets their shirts by carpet fest just letting everybody know but um what we did try to do is you can definitely go onto the links that are all over the place, whether it be my Facebook page, Eric's Facebook page, the Morelia pick of the week, uh, Northeast carpet fest, Facebook page. Um, uh, numerous people have shared this. So there's really no excuse that you cannot find this thing. And I've put it in the, uh, Morelia Python radio chat. So, uh, it, will expire i'm pretty sure we only have nine more nine days, days to go nine yeah. days the goal is 50 we have sold 49 shirts already and oh, raised come on. <laughs> and raised 510 dollars for us arc that is through donations as well as people buying shirts which swear to god you know i didn't know you guys um the listeners out there were so fashion savvy but I've had like three or four people be like, I don't like the color, therefore I'm not buying it. And I'm like, thank you for telling me. I don't really need to know, but okay. So um, <laughs> it's, it's up there. It's actually a really cool design. I love the design. Uh, Jeff Frederick, again, came out and designed it for us, and he did a kick-ass job. So uh, remember, 100% of the proceeds go to US Arc. The shirts are $22 plus shipping. Uh, go order as many as you want knock yourselves out you can even give a donation beyond the shirt 
that doesn't count towards any shirt purchase. So you can buy the shirt and give a $10 additional donation. And uh, yeah, we'll lump that in with all the proceeds that we get from the auction. We'll send it on the US ARC. Yeah. Yeah, that'll be uh, will be awesome. So uh, as far as Northeast Carpet Fest goes, it's uh, June third, um, mm-hmm. right around the corner. We got what three weeks away, I believe, something yep. like that. Um, yep. So uh, I posted up a thing today about uh, food and what somebody, uh, if you want to bring something. I think we're pretty much good now at this point. So I we're think we probably much- could use some desserts and stuff if people want to yeah. bring that. Um, I, I, put, I put Amanda on the desserts and a few other people. So here's the thing. We're pretty good now. So what we're going to say from here on out is bring whatever you want. We want you to bring something, whether it be a drink or food. But at this point, bring whatever you want. Now, if you've already told us what you're going to bring and are listening to me right now and are like, oh, that cl- no, no, no. People forward now. <laughs> if you've already told us what you're going to bring, damn it, you have to bring it. <laughs> so, sorry. Um, basically, that's what we're just going to tell people now. Please check in with us though, because some things will change. Uh, certain people might contact us who thought they were coming, and plans change. So please check with us. But it's, a lot of it's going to be the uh, you tell us what you're going to bring. That's it. Go ahead. Yeah. Cool. Knock and we out. have. We have, uh, at this point, I want to say there's about 40 people going. Nice. 40 people. So, should be good. Should be cool. Um, And that's still, there's some people still up in the air and and stuff like that. So, it's pretty cool. We have a couple people flying in. We got Bill uh, Stiegel and uh, Jeff Back coming in from from Texas. Uh, Mm -hmm. Also, uh, Rob Stone's coming in from uh, Colorado, and um, who else is flying in? There's a couple other people Nick, flying in, aren't they? Nick. Yeah, I I, I haven't really heard heard from him. Um, so I don't Uh-oh. know. If, I mean, he Uh-oh. said he was going. So you 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 better call him and knuckle down for the four hour conversation. <laughs> Uh, Tony Jerome, he's going to be coming in. That's pretty cool. Um, uh, they're the people that stood out to me that are coming from out of state type of deal. Uh, you know, Jeff Frederick, all the Maryland crews coming up. Uh, John mm-hmm. Beck, he's coming up. I talked to Mike Curtin the other day. He's bringing, uh, some chowder clams and, yep. uh, and, and his kids. So yes. yeah, yeah. Then hatches it. down. As long as they got swimmies, then, you know, whatever. Yeah, yeah, you know. Eric Kohler's coming. That should be awesome. Yes. Uh, Lon, yes. obviously. Uh, Frank Good. So we got a couple. Oh, Keith McPeak, he's coming. So we got yes. some, uh, some some blood people uh, slash bowling people coming. So uh, that should be uh, pretty your, awesome. That's blood thing. Did that work? There you go. I posted the link up for Carpet Fest the t-shirt again so it's on the okay. mpr chat yeah okay so uh, so yeah i mean uh you know you don't again if you're listening to this and you're like well i don't really keep carpets uh you know blah blah you don't have to keep carpets to come to carpet fest uh but, if you're uh, interested in carpet python this would be the one to this would be yes. what to go to 
say you're on the fence and you're like, well, I kind of do berms, but I kind of like carpets. Go, because then you get to see a first-class collection, Eric's. You get to meet the breeders and keepers in the tri-state area, which you're, might be the ones you're close by to, and you all get to talk shop. So who knows? And go to the auction. You can then bid on – ah, crap, we didn't set up the auction yet. Um, <laughs> 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 all right. And put a pin in that one. But if yeah. you go to the auction, you can – win a voucher to buy your first carpet python it all works out um if you're listening to me and you want to donate to the auction we have i think a few items uh myself donated uh is gonna uh, i'm gonna donate a voucher eric's gonna donate a voucher um i know i was contacted by somebody who was offering uh three exoterras so that's cool if you're if you use that kind of stuff they look like uh Looks like they'll please our friends that also do geckos. So um, that's another thing. And then uh, we'll probably bug a few other people about stuff. So I know Howard gave a voucher. Um, yeah, for the Southern. So he'll give one to us because we'll make him. Um, I hope Chris Salemi gives us a picture of a carpet, not a uh, Not a, a worm. diseased-ridden chondro, yeah. <laughs> yeah diseased chondro. <laughs> <laughs> So who wouldn't want this picture hanging up? Everyone, everyone would not want this. <laughs> that is yeah. horrible. He is gonna. So, he is dead now. So yeah, I mean, so um, uh, Thursday we're putting together uh, me and Chris Salemi and um, uh, what the hell is this? Oh, me, Chris Salemi, and Rob Stone are headed to the Philly Zoo uh, later that night. You can come if you want. No, I um, have to work. <laughs> uh, and later that Sorry. night, we're heading to uh, Matt's uh, to uh, hang out. I'm going to get him a cheesesteak that day. And mm-hmm. uh, what was the uh, – on Friday, we're probably going to do some kind of, uh, you know, dinner. But I know uh, the guys flying in are flying in around 7, and they'll probably yeah. go see Matt's collection and stuff. So, um, you know, we'll see. But, so we uh, might end up doing like a, a after dinner kind of or a quick like grab pizzas or something. I don't know. I won't be down to your place till later anyway because I got to deal with the you know work. So yeah, you know I'm not against getting pizza at this point, but uh, I know <laughs> I, can't have, I know I can't have too many pizza days. I can only have one pizza day. So so <laughs> save it. Just just hold on to it. Hold tight. Yeah. You know. Um. So uh, yeah, we're probably gonna hang out maybe do some swimming, sit by the fire, that kind of stuff, depending on how the weather is. And you got a pina colada machine. (laughs) Oh my God. We're high end now, baby. Yeah. We are copying from Southern Carpet Fest. Congratulations, guys. We've stolen cornhole. Oh, and we got uh, cornhole. And we got cornhole. So we we have cornhole and we have a pina colada machine. And we've also stolen Bill and Jeff. So we've taken everything that was good about Southern Carpet Fest and brought it up here. Yeah. I said it. <laughs> That's right. Well, we are the OG chapter, so. Damn right. <laughs> yeah. It's got to rake for something. Um, yeah, that's all I got. Uh, I don't know if you have anything else. We get Nick on here and get this going. If not. Let's get this rolling. Okay. Let's bring Nick on. And uh... Hey, Nick. Welcome back to uh... – Morelli Python Radio, glad to have you. Let's get this started. How you doing? Hey, 
How's it going, guys? Good. And we're doing all right. You guys are planning all the parties, and I'm doing all the work. What's going yeah. on here? That's how that works. That's usually how that works out. <laughs> but I'll have to make time eventually. Yeah, it's it's going to be a blast, and we love having everybody there. So, but Nick, why don't you start off and tell us uh, what got you into reptiles? What got you started in it? Uh, well, I think everybody has a backstory. Um, if you have reptiles in your blood, it starts at an early age. That was definitely the case with uh with me uh by the age of you know three it was kind of interesting uh the neighborhood the first neighborhood that i grew up in uh they were planning a new development a new neighborhood to the side um of where my parents lived and i don't know if the the funding dropped through for the thing or contractors didn't come through or whatever but they essentially started excavating the whole area and uh, quit on this thing, but in the process ended up making uh, a huge gravel pit. And it was surrounded by trees and everything. It was a pretty remote area other than, you know, the neighborhood just across the way. And uh, I remember, I mean, it was just some of my earliest memories as a child, but uh, my dad uh, took me to this place, and I remember there's just thousands, if not millions, of frogs breeding in this thing. And uh, I grew up in Michigan, and it's it's a pretty nice mecca for for a lot of you know reptiles, amphibians, um, and it was I remember these things as being like larger than life. You know, I couldn't believe how cool they were. And of course, I had to try to catch as many as I could and whatever. Mm-hmm. Also, in the process, there was you know there was some painted turtles and and Blanding's turtles, which I had never seen before, that had made a home out of this thing. And that's pretty much where it all started. Uh, we actually named this place Frog's Island, and it uh, it stayed untouched for quite a few years. Uh, I remember I have a shirt, actually, that says, I heart or I love Frog's Island. And it was kind of like a you know an inside thing. But uh, basically, uh, from there, I moved to a different neighborhood, different part of the, the state, and it was surrounded, my whole backyard was completely filled with wetlands. And it was um, a series of gravel pits. I think it was a similar thing that had been excavated, but uh, the the area hadn't been developed yet. And I can remember seeing 10 different species of frogs at a time, maybe 15, 20. Um, there'd be seven or eight or nine different species of turtles that would pop up in these bodies of water. Uh, behind my house and of course they had these like uh, big kind of slabs of concrete I don't know where they came from but they would just be randomly placed in the forest and around these uh, gravel pits that were predominantly sand bottoms but uh, you could count five or six different species of snakes sunning on these things and so that's where it all began Um, as things progressed I I guess people are starting to tell about me that I like to improve things um, and I like to tinker with things and see if I can modify or, you know, make, make uh, methods better. Well, I, uh, I essentially made it the cool thing to catch turtles in my neighborhood. I guess you could say Um, it wasn't long until all the neighborhood kids had, you know, nets across the handlebars of their bike 
And, you know, I'd teach them how to, you know, put extenders on these things. And I kind of made a science out of catching turtles. Um, and then I think a huge uh, impact was uh, Prue's Pets, which my brothers and I uh, worked at briefly. And I don't know if you guys have heard of the place, but it's since then, from a, I mean, it was a hole in the wall when it started. But it's probably, it's one of the biggest uh, pet stores in the country now. And I swear through my parents' funding, uh, I think I built that place <laughs> through, my, through my childhood. Um, I initially started with fish. Um, I remember Kerbenzis were the first species, the, the first animal I remember reproducing, and I was just absolutely captivated with them. Uh, from there, I became obsessed with predatory fish, piranha, wolf fish were some of my absolute favorite. Um, but as this pet store evolved, you know, I learned more and more about breeding and reselling animals back to them and um, what I needed to learn on my own and what I could learn from them. But, uh, yeah, so it started at a very, very early age. Um, by about the time that I was 12, I started seriously collecting reptiles. Um, I hadn't thought about breeding them too much because I think to find you know, adequate information back then, it was very difficult. I mean, if I remember if I found a book um, that had pertinent information in it that I could use, I mean, that the back was broken out of that thing. I would read it a hundred times over. Um, and of course, you know, we just had the internet, but it, it didn't have all the database and everything that it has now. So mm-hmm. um, I really remember just uh, not taking that for granted when I did find information or, or meet people that, were knowledgeable. Um, so yeah, it was, uh, you know, kind of an ongoing thing that started from a very, very early age. I, by the time I was 12 or 13, I was obsessed with boys. I mean, that's what did it for me. I, I kept virtually every non-venomous species of reptile, um, that was, you know, commonly kept at the time, some not so common, but I always had a just a deep love for the large constrictors, um, especially pythons. Um, and so that's kind of the direction I went from there. Uh, another interesting thing was uh, Glades Herp, uh, Rob uh, Kessie. Mm-hmm. I didn't even realize that's the guy that was running this thing when we were little kids. But <laughs> I would be the guy that got the price list and then would take orders from all the neighborhood kids on their dream animals you know uh-huh. we would we would we would uh plan this thing you know it'd be several months or a year until we could make the call you know there's no pictures of anything it was just how many of these do you want and so i remember big boxes showing up to my parents house and i would be like the the reptile dealer and make everybody's day bring them their little savannah monitors and their crop geckos and all this kind of stuff so Jeez. um that's pretty much how i got started in a nutshell well, all right. So, what is your collection like now? Is it kind of all jumble over the place, or have you kind of found yeah. your niche? It's way smaller than it used to be. I used to have <laughs> eh, about fifteen hundred to two thousand square foot uh, facility, and for numerous reasons, I uh, over the past I'd say four four or five years, I've condensed it down considerably. Um, but right now, I, I have mostly Morelia, uh, mostly mm-hmm. jungles, you know, Papuans or uh, Uringias, um, coastal jags. I used to have a ton of retics, but uh, those things, I mean, they just 
murdered my life, I think, for the past 10 years. I, I slowly kind of slowly kind of phase those out. I still have some ticks around, though. And then, of course, I do some of the hybrid projects with the bad eaters that, you know, I've kicked out a few pictures here and there, which draw a lot of attention from those. But uh, burns are always my favorite. I always have some of those going. Uh, Indians, I got some Indian crosses. And some some albino and hypo Indian crosses, which I don't know. I think they're some of the most amazing snakes I've ever seen, especially the most amazing berms I've seen. Um, I never got huge into uh, colubrids. Uh, I essentially just breed Mexican blacks. I don't know what it is about them, but they just they do something for me. So I produce. Um, I think I'll have three clutches of those this season. I just started pairing those guys up. Uh, cool. I love tagus. I have the blues and the, the Argentines. They're a big pain in the butt too. I mean, they're kind of like having children, um, mm. which uh, we we can get into that a little bit. That's kind of was a predecessor to to making some of this product. Um, I have a a large group of uh, Peruvian redtails, the Peru locality. Um, Matt Blast lines, uh, Jim Pomaville. Jim Peters, I have Brazilian rainbow boas. So, um, yeah, pretty much, uh, like I said, I specialized in reed ticks and berms before, which took a lot of space. It took a lot of time, a lot of energy. So as I'm getting a little bit older and getting that out of my system, I'm trying to focus more on some of the smaller arboreal and semi-arboreal species. So Right. Uh, Very cool. Always had crocodilians growing up. Of course, a lot of that stuff's been phased out. Um, but uh, pretty much to wrap up that question, I mean, I've been focusing on essentially lime breeding, uh, you know, carpet pythons, uh, mostly IJs, mostly pure jungles. And then after doing a project with Bill there, I just kind of started producing jags in the past uh, couple years now. So. There, it's interesting the the uh, possibilities with those. So that's that's kept me, kept me busy for a little while. Uh, yeah, I could I could see that one. So, um, now you, know, you kind of touched on it a little bit. So what exactly? Because I think we're just going to get into it because everybody knows that you're associated with Reptilinks. So what exactly is Reptilinks, and what led you to kind of start the company? Yeah, well, the company itself is a family-run business. Um, we started a little over two years ago. Uh, well, since we launched the the website, it's been a little over two years. Uh, we offer one of the most diverse assortments of uh, quality whole prey, I guess you could say, on the market. Um, and we everything that we offer can be ordered through one website. So um, there's been a a lot of preparation, a lot of research, a lot of time put in into that to make something like that happen. Um, but uh, as far as the products that we make, uh, there's four basic products. And um, mm -hmm. some are newer, some, some we've had for a little bit longer. Um, but we do, the first type is a micro mini links. And I can explain those a little bit more in a minute um and those are on they're not traditionally cased links like you would think of um you know tying sausage traditionally um and then mm -hmm. you have the the links that that actually have a collagen casing um so those are the 
the main two uh, products that we offer. And then we also do ground prey, which we either do for mostly like tagu hatchling bundle is what we call it. And that would be for the customer to be able to get a better bang for their buck um, and start like hatchlings off on ground prey instead of buying, you know, 50 little half gram links that they could eat. So uh, we also do ground prey uh, upon request as well. And then, uh, and then we also offer animal whole prey. So it'd be everything that you could get from your rat breeder or your, you know, your mouse breeder. And then uh, we do, we do a bunch, bunch of those as well. So um, the micro and mini links, and I'll just back up and go through each one in a little bit more detail. Um, they go through a, a calcium dip process, so it's essentially the same raw product that we use for the traditionally case links, but they're obviously much smaller. Um, the micros are about a half gram to a gram, and the minis are eh, roughly 1.5 to 2.53 grams. Uh, some are a little bit longer than others, so it depends. Um, so those are essentially used for some of the smaller species, obviously in the, you know, the neonate stage or a um, little bit bigger depending, or a little bit older depending on what species you're talking about. Um, and uh, yeah, I, I don't think anybody's done anything like that, by the way. Um, I remember <laughs> staying up and basically getting a divorce because I would be in my shop like <laughs> working on these things, trying to figure out how to make a one gram rabbit, you know what I mean? So um, right. <laughs> they, do, they do have a lot of applications. They've changed a lot of stuff in the reptile community so far. So we're pretty excited about those. Uh, the tr traditionally case links are just that. It's, it's your um, typical sausage. And then the prey types that we make them out of, uh, we have six total right now. And it's whole chicken, uh, rabbit, which, I'll get I'll touch on this a little bit too. Uh we remove some of the feces from the rabbit because they they oftentimes have a lot in there which has some implications. Um we do quail, pheasant, African guinea fowl, and then uh frog as well now. So that's what we offer as far as the case uh links go. Um the ground prey is pretty self explanatory, it's all of those combined. Um whichever ones you want, or we do a mega blend as well, which you can get all the different prey sources in one. And then the animal whole prey that we offer now, we do quail, we do chicken chicks, uh, we do quail eggs, we do small and large quail eggs. So we do uh, Cortunix quail, um, which are, you know, pretty good for a decent-sized lizard, maybe like two feet, something like that, depending on what type you're talking about. And then we do... Uh, button quail eggs too which are really cool they're like probably one quarter of the size so they're nice little niblets for you know even smaller uh lizards which is huge because of the the vitamin d and vitamin a that eggs naturally uh contain which is imperative for calcium absorption and in overall health of the animals we do a goody mice uh which is like a free range. They're a different style mouse that's been bred over time. Um, they're very lean. And then we do white mice, African softers, and then your traditional rats. Um, the, the thing about the rats, too, that I wanted to point out that we offer is they're fed a custom diet. And I, I mentioned this on the, the, the previous show, um, mm -hmm. but 
I think that has uh, it makes a huge difference from what we've seen and what you feed these animals. And we talked pretty extensively about that um, on on the previous show as well. But um, one of the things that I'm very proud to offer about our our rat stock is that they are fed a custom diet that has no meat fillers um, and no preservatives in it, which you literally, and maybe Ian might correct me on this if, if I'm misinformed, but I've never found a commercial diet that doesn't include those two things. So we're pretty happy about that. Awesome. Awesome. I didn't even realize that you guys did whole prey as well. Yeah, that's something I've that's been working awesome. on for. Yeah, I started that about a year ago, and um, we ju- we just launched maybe, I don't know, I think it's been about three, maybe three or four months now that we've offered that. And then uh, we continually are adding things, too. Like I just added the, the chicks and, um, you know, w- whatever people can use, uh, we're going to raise it. Uh, we're going to contract people out to raise it as long as they can do it properly and We'll make it available. So nice. Um, so I'm, I'm poking around your website right now, and I actually just found something that might be insanely useful for a lot of people that I'm just finding out. You have uh, scenting vials. Yeah, uh, the frog scent. The frog scent. It's like frog juice, is what it says. And I'm like, yeah. oh no. <laughs> so. Yep. Now, we couldn't just call it frog scent. It had to be something stupid to get people's attention, you know. Frog oh, juice. Frog juice will do it. <laughs> um, yeah, we we offer that. Um, it's a pain in the butt to make, but uh, <laughs> we've had great results with it. Um, that's just something that uh, I figured everybody should have in their toolbox, uh, especially for, well, we're, we're finding with hog nose, um, it works amazingly well. Uh, there's quite a few other species. Um, we, yeah, we could, we could jump in. We can jump into that. I had that kind of listed down a ways on my Oh, we can, we'll, we'll, here, we'll get but... to that. We'll okay. get to that, you know, so we can just keep rolling with what we're doing. So, and, uh, Eric's got questions now, so. Okay. Oh, okay. I, I don't know. I mean, did you go through everything you wanted to go through as far as what you guys offer and all? Yeah. I mean, you tell oh. us if you want to keep rolling. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I pretty much covered the basics. If you guys have okay. specific questions, um, I it, I kind of had an outline to go along with the questions that you guys had. So yeah, um, okay. I'll just maybe I'll just signify maybe um, when when the next one comes up. I kind of had them intertwined here, but I guess the <laughs> only thing I wanted to give a background on really quick was yeah, um, I I used to. You know, a lot a lot of people ask, well, what is Reptilink? How did you come up with it? Why did you come up with it? Um, it really, it was by happenstance. Um, I used to have a, a fairly large volume of animals. And, uh, you know, you guys know whenever you start producing stuff in, in numbers, I mean, that becomes a serious full-time job. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it becomes very heavy on the wallet, too, if you're, if you're buying, uh, especially, I think most people spend the majority of their money on the little baby mice and, and rats that you have to feed all your offspring to get them up to par. So um, my, my initial drive behind the product was to come up with something that was more nutritious that I could customize. And also something that I had absolute control over the portion size. 
and also, you know, I'd be able to do that in a cost-effective cost manner. So um, that's when I started making prototypes. This was nearly 10 years ago. And so I started teaching myself. And you're talking a little bit of craziness here to do something hmm. like this because unless you have uh, unless you have, you know, some kind of background in butchering and meat grinding and, and, and sausage making, which it turns out there's a real art form to it, um, you're kind of in the dark. And that's exactly where I was. I was starting completely from scratch. And so I would literally stay up all night. You know, I'd put, put together a little makeshift uh, facility and everything and just start playing around with prototypes. Um, and that's really where I didn't know it at the time, but that's when Reptilinks was born. Um, the the results that I found were, I mean, they were literally mind-blowing because not only would the animals take this stuff a lot easier than I thought they would, but I almost saw, I'm talking within a couple weeks' time, differences in behavior, uh, differences in activity levels, um, differences in stool, um, you know, alertness, uh, all these things. I would, I started picking up snakes as the months went by as I you know started doing initial feeding trials and I noticed right away that the the muscle tone to the the snakes that I was holding that were fed lynx compared to you know all rats for instance they they their bodies were stiffer um they they would squeeze your hand and your arm harder and they just have a different a different feel to them so I knew very quickly that uh, I wasn't wasting my time with this. There could be some serious benefits to it. Of course, I needed to see that over the years, you know, my own experience, and then and then slowly filter the the product out to people as I hone my craft and teach myself how to make these things. But um, so yeah, that that's how it all got started. And then you know, I slowly started refining what I was making as I, you know, figured out portion sizes and different blends and all that good stuff. Um, and I, to be honest, I didn't jump with this thing right away because I wanted to make sure there wasn't any repercussions to feeding this kind of diet. I was right. worried about casings. I was worried about, well, how are they going to digest it? You know, or am I going to feed this to my animals and then five years later there's going to die off or something, you know? So obviously mm. I wasn't going to use start using people as guinea pigs. Um, I had to really – uh, you know, feed this stuff within my own collection at, uh, you know, at my own risk. And, and that's exactly what I did. So, um, yeah, that's, that's essentially how we, we started out with this thing. Awesome. Um, how did, how did you guys come up with the recipes? Like what made you use the animals that you used? Um, you know what? I mean, it was, years of looking at people's labs and looking at fat contents and looking at calcium and looking at protein levels. Um, and really from a grander scheme of things, w the way that I want to do this was, well, what's healthiest for reptiles or what do we think is healthiest for reptiles? But also it turns out what's healthy for a lot of reptiles is also the healthiest for humans too and a lot of other animals. Um, rabbit, for instance, is pretty much well-known as one of the healthiest protein sources you can consume on the planet. Another one's going to be goat. So 
Um, we did a lot of research looking at labs to figure out what would be the most applicable um, prey sources um, to to make the product out of, and and pretty much just went from there. Um, okay. Yeah. So I I guess I had that a little bit further down, but uh, I think uh, what a lot of people probably want to know because we, you know, I wouldn't say that we met a lot of opposition, but the people that were stuck in their ways and didn't want to accept these methods over the past couple of years, um, I, I want these people to know that, you know, this is no joke. Like uh, I dedicated my life to this and, you know, a large portion of my life. And I would not sell this stuff if it didn't work and it didn't work amazingly well. So uh, I think what a lot of people want to know is why is the, is the product beneficial to reptiles? And um, it's, it's pretty simple. Um, the nutritional values are, they're higher uh, because you're dealing with animals that are, they, there's more biomass to them, right? Um, not mm-hmm. only that, but you, you can, you can literally pick the, the type of prey source that aligns best with the species that you're working with, with the existing research and everybody's empirical data and, you know, this animal needs this fat content or it needs to be leaner. And you can make that happen. Uh, I, can, I do have some customers that contact me um, and they want a very particular thing in, in what they're ordering from us. And I will make that happen. Um, of course, I have to talk with them and figure out what their reasoning behind it is and everything. And in a lot of cases, if they're really convincing with, you know, my background and what I've done in my research with uh, diet with these animals, then I'll go ahead and make that a mainstay product, you know. Um, I had uh, one of our main customers the other day, she thought that she had come up with a perfect combination for hog nose. And um, it was pretty interesting because she wanted to use, I think it was pheasant instead of quail. And it can get frustrating because, you know, the the exact nutritional values of these animals can be very hard to pin down. But uh, that's that's irreplaceable, you know. I mean, if you compare that to just feeding, as we were talking about on the previous show, like, yeah, I feed a fair, uh, very diet. I uh-huh. feed mice and rats too. No, you don't. You don't. You don't feed a very diet at all compared to, uh, you know what what is capable with this method. So uh, that's pretty self-explanatory. The, the sky is kind of the limit there. It's the 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 variation that you can add, and then of course um, being able to customize, uh, you know, and stay in that 1.1 to 2.1 range calcium. Uh, to phosphorus ratio, especially for lizards, that's huge. Um, if you can take the guesswork out of that, especially for, you know, people that have volume of, of animals or people that are just starting out, then, you know, you've you've done really good Phew. things because you've taken the headache out of, you know, you've taken the guesswork sure. out. So. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. Um, okay. So I guess the, like the, so if you were, 
I know this is uh, off topic, but if you were going to have, say, a carpet python, what would what would be the one that you would recommend, or what do you use? You have carpets. Yeah, um, yeah, it's a great question. Uh, it all depends on what your goals are with the animal. Uh, okay. It all depends on what what life stage it's at. Um, is it a baby? Is it an adult? It, are you building it to breed? Are you breed prepping? Um, are you trying to slim the animal down? Are you, you know, did it, is it post lay? Um, so you want, you know, you need to build the animal back up or rebound it. So there's a, it, it's a, it seems like a, a good question with a simple answer, but it's not that simple once you start really playing around with this stuff. Um, if I had to, if I had to answer that in the simplest way, it would be that (laughs) most of most of our prey types are pretty analogous to one another. Um, it, it depends on your price point. It depends, um, you know, is the animal going to accept certain prey better than others? Is it in transition? Uh, the answer to your question is that I feed everything. Okay. I literally, yep, I literally feed pretty much every prey type that we offer to my carpet python, and they will, they'll take it all. Wow. Um, the I think the the mainstay was definitely rabbit. Um, that was the most accepted. Um, people trust rabbit. They know it's lean. They know it's high in protein. So mm-hmm. that would be a good starting point. Um, sometimes in transition, and this is especially true for uh, Burmese pythons, for instance, they cannot refuse bird. Um, you can sit there and wave a white mouse in front of a hatchling berm for months until it turns hypoglycemic and, and dies on you three months later or whatever it is. You, and I've literally done this, can take a baby quail and hang it in front of a Burmese python that's hatching out of the egg, and it will grab it and swallow it down. <laughs> oh, shit. So, really? <laughs> yeah. So there is, there is, remind me to get that on film because I'm not BSing. <laughs> I've done it a couple times. That's um, crazy. But there is there is other uh, factors. Um, if you're feeding bird and transition or something like that, that might be something you want to factor in because, you know, they might take it more readily. But uh, the carpet pythons don't necessarily seem to discriminate as far as scent between the, the different prey types that we use. So really the sky's the limit on uh, so- which you want to start them on. So what you're saying is based on where, let's say, like you would, you can use these different mixes that you have going into pre-breeding, post-breeding, you know, if you want to lean the the female down, say, before you're going to, you know, maybe like cycle feed going into the breeding season, Uh, maybe you want to lean the male down or whatever. These are all possibilities depending on, you know, which mix you would choose. Wow. Exactly. They're, they're much more of a possibility with this method than just feeding rodents, for instance. Yeah. Um, because, you know, as we discussed before, once you get into certain gram weight size of rodents, then you're dealing with an animal. that's not necessarily nutritionally balanced anymore. So yeah, that's a huge perk to it. Um, it can be done to a certain extent, obviously when you're feeding whole, you know, prey, if you, and you guys were talking about before, like, you know, if you have African soft furs, you have white mice, you have rats. That's a pretty good variation of, you know, sizes at different life cycles where you can feed these things to 
you know, achieves different objectives. But uh, but yeah, with the links, um, it it does open up a lot more possibilities for you. Okay, and <clears throat> I was just curious about the fruit and veggie. Like, how did that get mixed into your? Is that more for lizards and stuff? Is that the idea behind those? Uh, yeah, we we started adding the fruits and veggies. Uh, predominantly for the the tegu communities um that's how we started out and started that a lot of that had to do with how we marketed too i i kind of niche marketed to tegu people because i really believed that this was the best tegu food that you could buy on the market and so um i started you know really kind of putting this stuff out there to tegu groups and things and uh through feedback that's the thing too like everything that we make is through feedback through our customers um it's not like we like you know formulated these things over like the past 30 years or something and said okay here's our huge product line that you're not going to be able to change and you know this is how it's going to be and and you didn't have anything to do with it but this is what you're going to buy take it or leave it it didn't happen Mm -hmm. that way at all actually I got feedback from thousands of people, literally, as we were formulating these um, diets. And, you know, what reptile greens are going to be digested the best? Um, Which ones are going to, you know, not have as much calcium binders in them and things like that? So um, that that was a really cool part of this is that uh, a lot of the customer base had a huge play in in, uh, choosing literally what we put in into our mainstay products so um but yeah it was pretty much the tegu people that was the driving force behind starting to play around with adding organic materials in with the the whole prey and then of course bts and um the bearded dragons there there was uh i'd say a lot of people thinking, no, you can't feed any animal or protein matter to bearded dragons. They need greens, you know, uh, mostly insects when they're younger. Well, they thrive on them. And as you start to do more research on these animals and their, you know, endemic environments too, you realize that they'll run down a bird and starve it down. I mean, those things are monsters. Um, They'll they'll pretty much eat any kind of uh, animal prey that they can get their hands on. And it turns out that, you know, there are certain lizards, uh, insects, uh, frogs, you name it, that are more readily available at certain, you know, times throughout the season. So it makes sense. Um, so those are the, the three, you know, more commonly kept species that uh, kind of catapulted the fruits and veggies into the spotlight there. So, So can you explain to us, like, how this equates to feeding mice say like if you're feeding mice or rats or whatever every two weeks what how would you how do you what do you what do you recommend as far as feeding your product the time frame yeah i wasn't sure on that question uh you're talking about frequency of feeding then um Mm -hmm. yeah and that's that is uh really dependent on your goals again. Um, I will say, and I, I guess I'll just try to break this down with a species example. Uh, I do have GCP here. Um, they, and I, I mentioned this in the previous segment too, that 
it's pretty much accepted that you can't feed them large prey uh, or to stay small is a lot safer and to not feed these animals very frequently. Is that, I mean, is that pretty much what you guys have gathered? Um, yeah, yeah. That's what I've kind of gained as. No, that's pretty much the safe bet is to keep them lean and keep the prey small. There's almost like uh-huh. error on the safe side. So. Uh-huh. Yeah, and so if you take that logic and and apply that to the product, it opens up a lot of possibilities. Um, one of the things that I've found is that uh, when you're dealing with a sedentary arboreal species of animal like that, in captivity, we touched on this as well with Ian, he described this pretty well, um, these animals are not moving around from tree to tree. I mean, they literally have a stationary perch and they might have a feed perch, you know, um, and they right. might alternate every once in a while between those two. But I don't know about you guys, but all the condor that I've kept, I mean, they pretty much hang tight in the same spot. Um, yeah, and so mine do. Is, is, that, is that what they're doing throughout the year in their natural environment? Because that has a huge, uh, you know, effect on what you're going to be feeding them, obviously. If their metabolic rate is higher in free-living populations and they're forced to move around within their home range, and that might not be in, you know, two branches. It might be throughout a whole tree that's 30 feet high or something. Who knows? Or it could be, a, you know, a mile or two radius or something. I I have to do more research in that, and I'm sure Nick uh, Mutton could shed quite a bit more light on that as well. But if you take that and compare it to a captive animal and, you know, it's kept in a relatively small enclosure, um, if you're feeding an animal that is encapsulated in hair, um, it has a lot of feces in it, probably one-third feces, and if you want a substantial meal for that animal, it might be higher in fat than you would want, at least comparatively right. to maybe a lizard or something that is eating uh, in the wild. So that has a lot to do with it. If you take and look, and we mentioned this before, how the product is homogenized, it, it goes through a relatively simple grinding process, but... uh it does break down the matter and it changes up the, the physical composition. Um, it is dense, uh, but it's also essentially pre-digested in a way. So um, more importantly, and we didn't touch on this too much, is that you don't have that hair around the animal. Um, and that's going to act right. as a buffer to where those digestive enzymes have to start battling through that to get down to start breaking that uh, prey mark, uh, matter apart. So um, I found when feeding chondros lynx, it was, it's perfect. Uh, it's been perfect for them because they don't have to break down through that hair. Uh, their metabolic rate isn't super high. They're a sedentary animal. And pre- pretty much a lot of the work's been done for them. Um, I thought, oh, man, I can't, you know, I'm going to be really careful of these things. I won't feed them links but once a month or something like that because if you look at a lot of people's accounts, um, it might be a month or so before they, or maybe three weeks until they get a bowel movement. Is that what you guys have found or when yeah, feeding I think, rodents? 
Yeah. Yeah, I would say so. Okay. When you feed lynx, um, they could they could defecate in in uh seven days. Whoa. And and the, the stool is much smaller and you know, it's like it it pretty much what I've found eliminates any real concern for prolapse. Um never had a regurgitation, so I think a lot of that has to do with with uh, homogenizing the hair in into the the product because you know especially with the smaller animals these animals are definitely not preying on on rodents you know they're just not doing that they're catching lizards they're they're catching prey items that you know they're they're easy to swallow um and they don't have they don't have that higher body fat. I mean, they're they're probably at three to five percent from the research that I've done, comparatively to like above eight and up to twelve or fifteen percent, depending on what you're feeding. So um, that's okay. a pretty pretty cool. Thing. My interest would be, and and the kind of question that I have, and I almost want to try it just to see what will happen is, um, I have uh, white lip pythons. And mm-hmm. white lips are known for hacking up hair balls. Um, every so yep. often, Sword they'll just regurgitate. Yep. Exactly. So I'm, like, sitting here thinking, like, if we start doing the links, will that do away with the hair balls completely? It has. Ah, all right then. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it does. Um, I mean, obviously, we need to be... Um, getting the product to more people that have these animals. Um, there's been a good maybe 10 or 15 people. A lot of the, the black python people have contacted me from Canada, unfortunately, um, mm. and we're not open to ship there quite yet. But um, from the samples that we've um, done with them, yes, it's dramatically either decreased the size of the the hair regurgitation or it's eliminated it completely. Wow. That's that's pretty cool. <laughs> uh, I don't know if white I don't know if white do that in the wild. So I don't know if that's a thing that they only do because of what they're getting in captivity. So ah, it might be more beneficial to them. Yeah, well, that that's basically one of the main premises behind the work I've done. Um, I always mm-hmm. thought that, and I, I actually have seen this over the years that pythons, whether it's carpet pythons, you name it. Um, they do retain hair, um, and it. I mean, if you lose an animal or you talk to people throughout the years, they they tend to retain this stuff in their intestinal tract. And um, I've I've never really had any carpet like uh, jungles or IJs or you know some of the coastal stuff. I've never really had them regurgitate hair when feeding rodents, but um, what does that mean? <laughs> it means it's in them, you know, yeah. so, um, cause complications. I'm a firm believer that when you feed an animal that would be eating a super varied diet in the wild, including, you know, other reptiles, lizards, um, maybe uh, they find a baby bird nest or something like that. Maybe a, for the bigger animals, a possum, you know, they happen upon or something, but the, the truth of the matter is these animals aren't feeding on a rodent covered in hair every day. So to me, it's become pretty common sense. But when you 
talk to people that have, you know, fed only rodents throughout their career keeping reptiles or whatever, um, they they don't want to kind of snap, snap out of that, you know, that train of thought. So, um, yeah, I think I think uh, in what I've seen, the longevity is going to be there. Um, and as we continue to, um, you know, as we continue to add more analogous prey sources to what these animals are feeding on in the wild, I think we'll be able to get these animals to live a lot longer. Yeah, yeah I would agree. Um, here's a here's a question that comes up a lot. It's like people, they're comparing uh, pricing from your product to a mouse or rat. Can you break us da- break down for us why they shouldn't compare the two? It's like comparing apples and oranges. Oh yeah. Um, the thing with that is when you break down larger prey, uh, and then it, it goes through usually a triple grinding process. Um, uh-huh. You're taking several animals um, and and breaking them down, and what you're starting with is you know, depending on what prey type you're using, um, again, an animal encapsulated in hair, it's got a, you may have a lot of feces in it, something like that. Um, some of that's taken out. Um, the end result is a link that's packed very tightly with all the bone, all the connected tissue, the organs, the feet, the brain, the, you know, everything. And it's, it's all mixed, so it's homogenized, and then it's packed down into a little capsule. And so, if you if you were to compare the you know the same gram weight price to rodents, you're li- you're literally looking at like half the almost half the nutritional value and half the caloric intake. Um, so, you know it's you're 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 able to get more nutrients to the animal with less energy expenditure um in in a, a smaller sample size um so when people are feeding you know they're saying well i can get these jumbo rats or something like that for this price a dollar each or whatever it is well you are comparing apples to oranges at that at that time um you know it's 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 one of those things where people don't want to believe it until they actually see how it works, you know? It, sure. You know. Okay. <clears throat> what about the shelf life? What's the shelf life on them? Um, well, if you're, if you're talking about keeping the product in uh, its original vacuum sealed bag, um, one to two years, I, um, as I mentioned before, with uh, when we were talking with everybody else, we throw anything that kind of gets messed up or isn't sealed properly or a link doesn't get tied right or whatever it may be. Those all go into freezers, and I don't waste that stuff. Um, and I've taken links out of the freezer two years later, uh, cut the bag, smell it. It smells exactly like the day that I've made the product just to be certain when I was initially doing this, I would take a pair of scissors and cut through the product and then, you know, look at the product. Um, you're, you're, it's as fresh as the day I made it, uh, literally. So, and a lot of that has to do with the vacuum seal because you're obviously taking all the oxygen and everything out of that bag. So you don't get mm-hmm. any kind of um, deterioration that way. 
Um, a lot of it has to do how, you know, what your temperatures are. Um, in a deep freeze, you know, rats, mice, they're going to last longer. It's the same with our products. Um, the colder you keep them, the, the more it's, it's going to keep them preserved. Um, so it, it has a lot to do with the vacuum sealing, but also because the meat or the prey mixture is, uh, it's tightly protected by that, that casing. So you mm-hmm. can't really get any freezer burn or, um, you know, any kind of oxygen exposure to it because it's literally tied into a sealed missile. So, um, yeah, you're looking at a, a really nice shelf life for sure. Okay. That's awesome. Cool. I, and I'm assuming it ships frozen, right? That's how it gets shipped, right? Yeah, we ship, uh, and that's one of the things I wanted to touch base on too when I started this thing. Um, and when I say that, I mean when I was doing prototypes and playing around trying to figure out how this is, you know, if I was going to offer this to the general public. Um, that right. was hugely intimidating to me at the time um, was the the shipping a frozen product and not only that, like working with the parcel services to do that. I mean, you got FedEx and you got UPS essentially to ship smaller boxes and those are your choices. So that was a huge reason I, I didn't start uh, earlier shipping this stuff. But uh, yeah, we do ship on uh, dry ice and we use uh, insulated liners. They're basically a foam and then they're encapsulated in a, like a metal, almost like an aluminum coating. And the mm-hmm. the boxes are taped uh, very well. You'll you'll curse me out several times trying to get those things open. Um, <laughs> but uh, but yeah, we do we ship the the product frozen on dry ice. Very cool. Cool. So uh, can you tell us uh, some of the tips on picking out the right link for your reptile? Like what what kind of goes into that? Um, yeah, the first thing that we do with people is, uh, you know, if they don't know where to start is we want to start with the portioning size. I call it size matching. And uh, we do have a scale uh, on our website where you can look and, uh, you know, comparatively see the size of the links and the gram weights to rodents. So that is helpful uh, to a certain extent. But really when it comes down to it, we want to make sure that, people are not wasting their time with the wrong size um, mm-hmm. links. And so we, we go above and beyond to make sure that happens. And the way we do that is I'll get pictures, either email or on one of our groups or, um, you know, whatever it may be. And then I'll have somebody take pictures of their target animals. And, uh, you know, you can use a ruler or I usually just have them take a picture with a dollar bill or some other commonly, uh, you know, well-known object. Uh, for scale and then get that out of the way um as far as once your size matched um the blends you know that would as i mentioned before would have a lot to do with what your goals are what species you're feeding what time of year it is how old is the animal um and so uh for for carpet and you know some of the the medium size pythons and like that i i usually rabbit is usually the mainstay of what we use and recommend to most people but you know a lot of people it depends uh they might want leaner stuff 
Um, they want they might want something that's a little bit higher in fat. So there's many different combinations that you can choose from, um, and that's just really that's really up to you and what you want to do with the the animals. Um, for instance, I was I, I was super busy obviously this breeding season, and I had some animals that were behind where I wanted them, and I actually used uh, a few of them for the instructional videos um, that are on our website, but, um, I, uh, I train fed them and I, I fed them links, uh, to kind of get them up to par. And then after they laid, I immediately fed them links again. And mm-hmm. I, I gave them mega blend. There was no doubt in my mind what I was going to be feeding them because you either have females when they lay where it doesn't even really look like they've laid and you right. know, you, pretty much had them where you wanted or you know you get a refusal when you don't want it and animal gets a little bit behind and you're like damn it you know like this is where I wanted this thing to be um in that case I feed them a mixture of basically everything that we offer um and so you know just all depends on what what you're trying to do I guess so uh talk about the unboxing uh, what do you what do you do once you get everything? Oh uh, yeah, we we have an instructional and uh, you know video segment that I started on the website, which is a pretty good source for that. Um, mm-hmm. Essentially, you know, you're just getting a sharp tool, not something blunt, um, because those things are taped very well. All the corners are eye taped, what we call it an eye tape method. So you want to have a sharp knife, a straight edge cut those things open. Uh, obviously, you're going to want a nice pair of gloves or something because you're you're going to be dealing with uh, usually a fair amount of dry ice. Um, and uh, essentially, you're taking that stuff if you're not feeding right away and you're just placing it right in the freezer. Um, everything's vacuum sealed. Uh, everything's labeled. All the gram weights are there, the blends, and, and all that good stuff. Um, once once you are ready to feed, there's there's any number of things that you can do. Uh, obviously, you got to warm the product in, up in some way, and you know it's the same as you're feeding rodents. Um, a lot of people let their rodents if they're doing volume, you know, fall overnight or mm-hmm. rabbits, for instance. Some of them have might you know they might have thick hair and whatever. And obviously, bigger animals they take you know longer to thaw, but. Um, with uh, mo- most of the product that we make thaws a lot faster, obviously because it's not insulated in hair, that has a lot to do with it. So a lot of customers like that. They're they're you know looking at ten minutes to thaw this stuff out and they're ready to feed. Um, you can warm it at room temperature. Um, we've had people you know put the stuff under heat lamps. Um, obviously with a higher uh, you know, temperature signature, you're, you're going to elicit a higher feeding response out of quite a few animals. Um, so that's a good way to, to raise the product uh, up above ambient temperature. I've taken trays and set them on like oil radiant heaters, you know, that's a good way to do yeah. it. Um, like the, the minis and micros, I literally just hold those in my hand and they thaw so quickly. And then the, you know, the heat's transferred from your hand to the links and, um, so that's a good way to do that, especially if you're just feeding like a few animals or whatever. Um, but, uh, yeah, the bo- I think the unboxing is, 
pretty self-explanatory there. Okay, but the uh, so I the way I prep my rodents is actually throw them all in a bucket with like steaming hot water and thaw them out that way. Would you recommend that for the lynx, or would that like um, possibly I, compromise the casing? Uh, it can. It it can. Uh, it's the same as like if you're if you do that with uh, smaller rodents or something, they could rupture. Yeah. You know, it's right. just because they're being thawed pretty quickly. It doesn't happen too often, but um, mm-hmm. it's not going to compromise the actual casing, but it could compromise the knot. And you have, a, you have a square knot on either side of the casing. So it could make those slip. It all depends. Um, it's definitely going to increase the chances. Now, have I made a rat? in link to like since the beginning of time pretty much yes i do the same exact <laughs> thing i take like a huge tupperware it's kind of funny when i feed like because you know it's like a it's like you're making a stew literally um but uh i do that all the time but then again a lot of the links and stuff that i'm tying are already compromised in some way there's there's something that we're not selling Right. Um, so it's and I, I have a lot of experience actually feeding with the different feeding techniques and things like that, so it's not as much of an issue. Um, yes, we have many customers that do that and they use that method and it can work. Um, would okay. I recommend it if you can keep away from getting the stuff wet? It it might be a better bet, especially when you're starting out with product. Yeah. Right. Okay. Um. Have you well, like what are your, some of your tips and tricks for offering this to an animal? And have you ever had where an animal hits it so 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 hard it like rips the thing in half? Yep, it happens. <laughs> uh, it can happen. And and once again, it's the same type of thing. If you got an overzealous feeder feeding on a mm-hmm. you know especially a smaller rodent or something like that, or if it's a real fatty one. Um, and they oh, yeah, smack yeah, the yeah, belly yeah. on that thing. Yeah, that's the worst. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, it can happen. It's one of the drawbacks to the the product that I've worked on, and I've uh, very recently um, pretty much fixed, actually. Um, most of the time that you have enough force behind, you know, a strike to, to bust the casing um, is at, like, um, the 75 to 100-gram size. And uh, I've actually worked with, a uh, couple different people to improve the casings and they're heck of a lot stronger. So uh, you really got to screw up pretty good to, to have <laughs> them just obliterate a link and rip it in half. And a lot of that has to do with the technique too. Um, I'm going to be working on uh, customized feeding tongs as well, which will really help with some of this stuff. There'll be like kind of a flatter, more surface area, you know, rounded on the end of the thing. So you can almost like, tongs that you'd use in the kitchen or something like that, um, Mm -hmm. which can help a little bit. Um, The main thing to prevent that, although I've pretty much fixed that problem with the larger links, is that you want to do a quick release. A lot of people um, tend to hold the link, like, sideways on the tongs, too, and so the animal's grabbing it from the side. It's just like when you're feeding any volume of, um, snakes, you want to try to point the nose of the rat towards, you know, the, the target animal. So in hopes that it grabs like its nose or, you know, takes half of its head in that way, you know, it's not going to mess around with it. It's going to swallow it. I don't know how many nights you guys have been up at like four o'clock in the morning going, come on, 
swallow the thing. You know what I mean? Yeah. I, I, last week, one of my males grabbed a rat and he grabbed it by the tail. And then he was there for about 20 minutes just chewing on the tail like sideways. And I'm right. like, you're, right. and then there, you're the dumbest creature hit. ever. Yeah. So. Right. And then their teeth get stuck in it. Or, uh-huh. Uh-huh. It's just like you're sitting there. And then, of course, you got to try to go back in to, to re- uh, you know, offer this animal, and then they just smack it from the side or grab it on mm-hmm. the ass, which, you know, so you're back at square one again. Well, um, it's the same thing with the lynx. You want to point and ori- orient the lynx towards uh, the animal and shorten the striking distance, um, if at all possible. And then uh, as soon as they hit that thing, you do a quick release, and you shouldn't have any problems with them tearing the lynx. Um, if they do, they it's generally minimal. Uh, say you don't get a quick release or, you know, you weren't ready and you help them try to tear that thing apart, um, they usually consume the whole link anyway. Um, and per- pretty much all my carpets, if they do crack a link, um, if there's a little bit of meat, like, off to the side or something, they'll just swallow it with the rest of the thing because they know right. exactly what they're doing. Um, and uh, we- we've had a lot of customers, you know, report um, – when when that does happen, it's not that too much of an issue. But uh, but yeah, it is one of the drawbacks. It's something that I've definitely worked on, and I'm very happy with with the the steps that I was able to take with it recently. And uh, I'll I'll only continue to improve on that over time. So very cool. So with the what what would you recommend? Uh, we already kind of touched on this for like you said, pretty much for pythons, you'd recommend uh, rabbit in somewhere in there, right? Uh, yeah. I mean, I would recommend everything. <laughs> it depends on it depends on um, you know how how much you want to spend. For instance, I mean, rabbit is pretty. It's like the pretty base level um prey source and it's the the reason i say rabbit is because you can't go wrong with it for the price you know what i mean mm-hmm. um but you know from there if you're adding ber- different types of birds and things like that or you know all the prey sources into one uh yeah it just it just really depends quail is is the most expensive prey source that we offer um yeah. and it also is one of the leanest and highest in protein too. So, um, but if, if I was starting out and, you know, just testing out the product with my collection or whatever, yeah, you, you can't really go wrong with rabbit for the price. Yeah. I ordered the, uh, the quail and rabbit. Um, and basically I ordered it. I just looked at that chart that you had on the website looking at, um, trying to replace say something that I would feed a mouse to. So uh mm-hmm. what would that be? You know, like uh maybe a year mm-hmm. old carpet, like right between mm-hmm. in between the small rat phase and the mouse phase, you know, you know what I'm talking about? Mm-hmm. So what would you say for that? Did I pick right or <laughs> did I did I go <laughs> did I go wrong? <laughs> Incorrect. <laughs> the quail I mean the quail and rabbit blend is probably I mean, it's going to be one of the leanest blends that we have and the highest protein and the absolute okay. highest calcium, you know? So, um, yeah, it's, 
it's by far one of the most popular blends that we do. And, um, yeah, I, I don't see how you could go wrong with that in any way. Um, it's, yeah, for an animal that you're raising, um, I'd say that's yeah. perfect. Uh, for an animal, you know, for a male, for instance, that you want to keep lean and mean, you want to keep them gunning, um, uh-huh. I would definitely go with like a rabbit quail too. It's just, yeah, all depends on the application you want. And the other thing is too, I mean, a lot of these, prey sources are, I mean, they are similar in, in a lot of ways. Um, the, the way that I design this is that you can't really go wrong with anything that you order from us. You know right. what I mean? Um, it, but for those that are more advanced, too, and they really, you know, have these, these particular goals and um, they've been in the business a long time, they go, darn right, I'm going to get rabbit or quail because that's what I want for this particular application and um yeah i'd say that that's a pretty good pretty darn good choice i like the uh the african guinea fowl i don't know if you guys know much about these animals but they're no. super active i mean yeah. they're they're essentially an african chicken you know they're they're almost like a a nuisance in many parts of uh of africa but um they they're very loud they're very active they're constantly on the move they're very prehistoric looking. They're almost like a dinosaur. Um, and they, the, as you grind this stuff and you work with it, you, you start to recognize the different compositions of the animals, exactly how much fat are in them, you know, like um, the feather count and, and the feather to, to meat ratios and all this. And that, that's one of my recent favorite uh, birds for sure. Um, I think that's going to become really popular um and we we have to do more labs on a few things because it is so difficult to take what everybody else has done for face value um but that is definitely something that would be comparable to quail or or even better because it it, it's possibly leaner so holy crud the thing's got like a crest like a cassowary it's like someone shrunk a cassowary yeah that's it not as cool Yeah, <laughs> that's the helmeted. Yeah, there's a couple different variations. We do the helmeted African uh, guinea fowl. They're a pretty neat looking bird actually. They're they're beautiful. Uh, they they have like yeah. an iridescent uh, kind of purple uh, plumage on them. But uh, yeah, it just so happens that they they work really well for what we're doing. So that's cool. I like that. So. Um... What would you suggest if you uh, your animal will not take the links? Um, yeah, that's also if you go to the website reptlinks dot com, uh, you can go to a video instructional uh, segment on there, and I cover the basics of that. Uh, acceptance wasn't uh, nearly as big a problem as I thought it was going to be when I started this thing years ago. Mm-hmm. But there is a there's a learning curve. Um, I found that the the seasoned people in in the hobby, you know, generally don't have a problem at all. It's more of the beginners that don't know the the basic uh, responses. You know, these built-in responses that reptiles have that you you have to elicit from them. But um, essentially, what you want to do is try to feed the product as normal. 
Uh, a lot of people will scent um, right from the get-go, and that could be as simple as, like, Eric, uh, you said that you, was that you that um, you said you make, like, a stew with water or? Oh. Uh, that was Owen. <laughs> that was me. Oh. Yeah. Um, I, I make a stew with water, and, and I've found that to be really useful, especially when I'm uh, trying to get the animals that start on non-rodents. Uh, to mm-hmm. eat. So my Dominican red mountain boa that traditionally start on gecko. Um, mm-hmm. Getting them over to rodents, the best thing to do was to have like three or four dead geckos in the soup, if you will, for thawing out the mm-hmm. rodents for them. So. Yep, and kind of stir it around and mix it up. Um, you can mm-hmm. do that with the lynx for sure uh, in the same manner. Um, or it could be simply taking that that prey source that they're habituated to and just rubbing it, you know, on the length, the same as you would with a rodent. Um, right. Of course, the scent glands and everything's on rodents are in that, you know, particular region there. So you want to pay more attention to that when you're scenting, if you're just using a simple uh, technique like that. But uh, um, so, yeah, that's the first thing that most people would do. I actually skip all these steps generally, or I blaze through them so fast. I don't realize I'm skipping them, but, that's what we'd recommend to start. The other thing is uh, the, the second method would be a bait and switch. And it, that, that's just basically, um, you know, waving the habituated prey source in front of the animal, doing a little dance with it, making a, a scent trail in front of it, it, you know, almost eliciting a feeding response or eliciting a, a feeding response and getting that, prey item out of the way and then quickly mm-hmm. replacing it with whatever the new target item may be, which, um, you know, anybody has kept snakes for quite some time, they know what a bait and switch is and that can be really beneficial. Um, another method is priming the pump. Uh, and that is essentially just feeding what the animal is used to. And then let's face it. The hungriest Python is a Python that's just eaten. I don't care what anybody says. It's ready to (laughs) rock and roll again. You know, a lot of people find that out the hard way when they (laughs) first get into keeping these things like, Oh, it's full. It'll be all calm and everything. No, just chomped your face (laughs) off. But, um, Mm -hmm. yeah. Happened to me tonight. um, (laughs) Uh Oh, uh Oh (laughs) yeah. You got to, you got a story behind that, or no? You I mean, just got bit. Just a, yeah, <laughs> yeah. It was just I got nailed. The end of a story. I fed them yesterday, and I thought that that you know that I would be able to just get in and clean some stuff real quick, and now uh, I just yeah. open up the tub, and out comes this carpet python head, just jump. <laughs> so yep they they want seconds. So yeah, that's the premise behind the the priming the pump. That's what I call it anyway. Uh, and you just feed that initial prey item, and then um, you've you've literally got all those appetite juices flowing, and they're not going to discriminate nearly as much with whatever you put yeah. in front of them. <laughs> Anything's um, good, right? Yep. And then uh, I do I try to categorize these methods, but as you guys know, they're they're pretty instinctual. So I've come up with like a constant pressure, and that goes along with tracking. Um, mm-hmm. So you found with carpets, especially like if you can get a constant pressure on their nose when they're being picky, um, sometimes they'll open right up and start chowing down. So the yeah. same goes when you're feeding any kind of prey source, including, you know, the product that we make. Um, they might try to pull away. So I call that tracking. 
and this stuff's included on the video too. I actually, you know, got pretty lucky with some stuff and um, you can see me demonstrate some of these things up close and personal. Um, but tracking would be where you get a constant pressure on the nose and then you stay with the movement of the animal. When they try to orient and turn their head away, you rotate with them and keep just a light pressure on their nose. And um, as you guys know, too, when you're feeding, you know, uh, initial babies and things like that, that's a great method to use. Um, of course, you can do uh, this. This I learned this early on with Burmese pythons. Like, I, I got them down to a freaking science. And that is a first, third tap where you – you make contact with the prey item, like, you know, just a, depending on the size of the animal, a few inches to like six inches down on the neck. Mm-hmm. Um, you get their attention that way. And then woo, you do a super vigorous shake real fast. <laughs> and that's going to throw them into a coil. And then they're going to follow with a feed response generally. So um, I also demonstrate a little bit of that as well on the website. So you can use all these things in conjunction with one another, by the way, obviously, or you can skip steps and you can jump right to what I call train feeding. And that's essentially, it's like priming or it's like priming the pump, but you're literally not giving that animal a choice, but take down what you, you know, what you have next in line for it. Mm. Um, So you, in the case of, um, say you have, uh, you know, a carpet python or something that just laid, and you want to get a decent sized meal down it, but you don't want to feed it a huge rat. Um, right. It might not. It might not right be ready to to feed how you want it to as well. So it might take a couple small rats or something. But it's not. It's not quite enough to give them that jolt and that boost back to putting on weight because you know you have that kind of window of time that if you miss and you don't get those extra calories in, you're going to be fighting that animal the rest of the time to get it back up to par if you want it to drop again the next season or whatever. So in that case, um, you know, train feeding can be a irreplaceable technique as well, um, whether it be for uh, rebound or just transitioning with a product or with, you know, any type, any type of prey, whether it be switching from, geckos to to mice or whatever it may be and what you do with train feeding and you guys probably know this but maybe for some listeners out there that don't have as much experience with it um you're essentially feeding the the habituated prey source and then if it's a rat or whatever as that tail goes down and the rump of the animal clears the the trachea there you're taking the other prey item and just following it hence you know mm-hmm. like choo-choo train feeding um and you're literally pushing the first prey item down with the second until you get a nice lodge with the teeth and everything and then you're you're generally ready to go um that's what i do to transition any animal generally i don't mess around with scenting baiting and switch i might do it real quick you know just to get get attention from the animal get it focused or whatever but then i I'll usually, if I don't want to mess around with all the other stuff, I'll just go straight to uh, train feeding. So, okay. So, awesome. real quick, one more, and it's, it literally just popped into my head. If you have an animal that the species you want to keep a little bit leaner, but you are growing them up to breeding, what would you recommend uh, blend wise? As far as for pythons or at colubrids. Vietnamese blue beauties. 
Okay, I would um, go with a quail frog, Aha, which, right. would, which <laughs> would probably be our, our leanest blend. Um, mm. You're looking at anywhere from about 3 to 6% on the, the frog and then somewhere right in that range um, with the quail. So that's going to be the, the leanest blend that we do. Um, yet it, it has a lot of omegas. I mean, it's got a lot of natural oils from the birds. Uh-huh. That's something I haven't touched on yet. And I think uh, one of our listeners uh, had a question about that in Australia, I believe it was. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's, that, that's what I go with where you want a nice steady growth rate for some of the, the higher metabolic rate animals like that. Yet mm-hmm. you don't want them too fatty where they're they're dropping you know too big of eggs or they're getting lethargic or whatever hmm okay may have to go there with my little psychopaths all right <laughs> cool they love them by the way oh really all right now yeah, we're definitely gonna go in I, I imagine they'll kill they'll kill anything so i imagine yeah. they'll go for it so yeah <laughs> yeah most, most of the Oh, like the ahead. garter snakes, uh, I mean, you know, a lot of the faster-moving species, uh, mm-hmm. you know, the kings, the corn, they they pretty much don't discriminate with any of the product that, that we make, which made me very happy. So. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Um, as we're sitting here talking, a couple things pop into my head before I get into the next question, but... I'm just curious about, like, especially with um, those micro links, have you had any experiences with um, hatchlings that you can't get going, that maybe you assist feed, and then all of a sudden, because the link is so uh, full of nutrition, that they sort of bounce back or or get in the swing of things real quick, and maybe a a hatchling that you would have lost uh, maybe you don't have, has anybody had experience with that or have you or? Yeah. Um, we, we have quite a few customers that are doing trials. I'm always doing trials and, and trying to take as many notes as I can and, and paying really close attention. Um, the, the micros and minis are generally going to be lower in fat than anything else that you're going to feed at that you know, life cycle stage in a rodent. So that has a lot of implications. And to be honest, I'm still dissecting some of those things. That's why I want to take, um, I want to get a nice good pound or two of um, the the initial yolks from whatever species it may be. I was talking to Nick about this and I have to uh, follow up with him. But I'm sure he, he might have some more clutches coming and I've been doing the same, but um you know, as these things hatch, if you if you have animals that don't make it or whatever, I want to do the labs and see exactly what the nutritional content of that initial, um, you know, the, the yolk, we call it a yolk. It's not really what it is at all. It's a fleshy mass of, <laughs> I mean, it's like <laughs> something you've never seen before, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I want to know what that's made of exactly. I want to know how much fat's in it. I want to know how much calcium, how much protein, um, some of the micronutrients in it would be awesome to find out. Um, and to answer your question, yes, some of the hatchlings, they're going to blow past the stuff that's been fed a, a fat little pinky. Um, and then 
it's funny because if you're dealing with some of the more uh, higher metabolism animals, they're not going to get plump and kind of have that meaty, you know, bigger look to them. So that's what a lot of people are finding um, with feeding the micros and minis to say like corn snakes or um, kings and things like that. They're going to be stronger. They're going to be a little bit leaner. They might not get as quick a growth rate as they would if you're giving them a fattier meal. And if you take that, you know, little baby corn, whatever king, whatever it may be, and you, you go to the complete other side of the spectrum and you feed a retic, a rabbit, okay, that weighs five pounds, maybe four pounds, is probably, you know, six, seven, uh, probably 9% body fat or something like that. And then you you feed it two of those, okay? And then you don't even see them like five days later. Like, did I not just drop like 20 bucks? you know, to feed this animal. Well, you can take and feed it a guinea pig that's a retired breeder, and it'll be good for two weeks. So um, it really depends on the metabolic rate of the animals. That, that's what I'm finding. Um, gotcha. Some will just up and run with it. Most carpets, um, some of the animals that are more sedentary will grow more quickly on the micros and minis than they would on um, pinkies or, you know, any hairless rodent, while some of the colorbreds and things may not put on as much weight, but they're, they're very healthy, they're growing at just a little bit, you know, a little bit less. You're, you're looking at a different kind of physical makeup to the animals at that point. So, yeah, I, gotcha. I can't wait to figure out what, we, what nature intended, you know, because mm-hmm. you have people going, well, it should be this, or it shouldn't be this. It shouldn't be this. It shouldn't be this. Well, what if we find out exactly what it is and right. then replicate <laughs> it? So, yeah, so that's what I'm going to be working on with that. Cool. And another thing that popped into my head, have you ever ha- have you had any feedback from uh, blackhead keepers? And, you know, obviously with some of these mixes, you're getting high-protein low fat and you know some of the complications in blackheads is eating fattier um prey is not always best for them long term have 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 anybody uh blackhead users or blackhead keepers used the product that you Yeah, know? you guys are you guys friends with Derek Roddy? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I talked to him quite a few years ago um and I was buying some, I was looking at some blackheads for my buddy, Eric uh, uh, Neuring. He's uh, Sentech. I don't know if you guys know him. He's a good friend of mine. I've yeah. done a bunch of projects with him. He builds the Sentech cages, um, yeah. and he's, he's produced, he's still producing right now some of the best retakes out there. But I was actually um, talking to Eric about how he got these blackheads in that were large and they were uh they were older mature animals and you know they're breeding like crazy they're just locking up every other day and stuff he's like oh i'm gonna get eggs and i'm thinking you know what man those animals are pretty large and uh you know somebody's probably been feeding them rabbits or big rats or who knows what and sure enough i start doing a little more research into it and i talked to Derek, and i talked to him about uh you know, how his feeding regimens, his frequency, uh, 
what life stage cycle prey type, you know, where they're at, what he's feeding. And he said, oh, by all means, you'll ruin a blackhead. It's not going to breed for you if you feed it too high fat. And uh, mm-hmm. not only that, people, I think, and this goes for many different species that are accustomed to feeding on their own kind or, you know, if they're, they're snake, you know, any of the lapid stuff, um, that's, that's pretty common sense, you know, because they're not going to be running into that in the wild. And everybody knows if you get a female of any species that's too plumped up, I mean, they're going to slug out or they're not going to ovulate or whatever it may be. Um, so that was really interesting. I talked to him and um, he said, by no means does you feed, you know, large prey items and you especially shouldn't be feeding like large adult rats and things like that. So where does that leave people with their options? You know what I'm saying? Uh, if you sure. want to be uh, entirely productive with the species that you're keeping, I mean, come on, you know, you're spending your life cleaning snake crap and you you want to show off your awesome animal, animals to all your, your buddies mm-hmm. and you want to produce the best animals that you can possibly do. But how do you do that? How do you get a lower calorie or lower fat diet to an animal that is essentially getting that in the wild from other snakes or they eat a lot of lizards, I think on the roads and stuff Yeah, um, is what they're doing. And so what the heck, who's worked on that? Come on people. You know, like, uh, how, can we, how can we replicate that? And uh, so, yeah, to answer your question, um, there's several blackhead people and obviously they crush them. They love the links. Um, we did the, uh, San Antonio Zoo um, has quite a few there. I believe it was. Um, they they buy them and feed them. Um, there's been a lot of smaller breeders around the country that have been feeding the blackheads, and they do wonderfully uh, on the links. And of course, people um, they try to they try to stick with stuff that's a little bit leaner. But also, you have that same situation with the hair. Um, when you're feeding, uh, you know, rodents, and a lot of that can be bypassed with the lynx as well. So, yeah, they do really well on them. I can't wait until more people start catching on to this. That's why I'm doing a show, right? Woo! That's right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, there, you know, uh, that's one of the things that's kept me from real – I mean, I, I've had blackheads in the past, but one of the things that always made me nervous was just that thing. Like, how am I going to feed this thing? Am I, I'm going to go and invest, you know, what are they like $3,000 a pair or something like that. And, you know, uh, obviously I want them to live long lives, but you know, with some of the, you know, diets and that that's out there, like really it's rodents. So, you know, now yeah, I yeah. mean, you're looking at ball pythons, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Taunt, nothing but. Yeah. <laughs> Owen I mean, would love that. <laughs> all the time. But, I mean, Derek told us once that blackheads have been known to, like, go down when the river's dry and eat, like, the dead fish that are there and stuff like that. So it's like there's – if you've ever thought of a python that needed a very diet, that was it. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, and... the, the other the other one that pops into my head is now that I have a decent group of Anteresia, um, trying them out on them, you know, uh, 
because they can be notorious for hard to get going and all that kind of stuff where maybe, uh, you know, this will be. Uh, yeah, there's been several people that have had good luck with the frog links and then also scenting um, with the, the frog. Um, I uh, Nick, I know he posted in some group about that where they just went into full feeding response on the frog links. So we were super happy to see that. That's um, awesome. so they're, they're definitely worth giving them a shot. Um, we're, we'll be working on some other prey types and things, or uh, sorry, other scents that are, um, you know, specifically aimed at some of these other species that people are really trying to get some consistency with. But uh, the, the frog has been doing pretty darn well so far. So I was super happy to, to see that, you know. So as weird as this one may be, have you ever put thought into it of making of blending snake into lynx? Yeah, I have. Uh, we get a lot of emails about that, and you know, I just I just had a guy today that had all lapids. Yeah, um, and he was he was wanting to get frog, and actually he was feeding like a whole rack of. I don't know what they were, some kind of cobras. And a lot of times I don't have enough time to really get the details from people that I talk to um, exactly what they're doing because I do talk to a lot of people in a day. But mm-hmm. um, he was really keen on getting the frog and, and the frog scent. And um, that's that's worked out really well for them as well. So, um but, but yeah, uh, as far as using snake, I mean, that's, that's a problem because what, what are your, you know, what, what are your options there? It's pretty much going to mm-hmm. be anything that's been overbred that the market's dropped out of <laughs> because a bunch of car salesmen, you know, get, went in with their buddies and bought $30,000 worth of pythons and they thought they could, you know, sell them and make their money back plus them. Well, doesn't always work out that way but you know people are still going to buy ball pythons they don't reproduce at a super rapid rate i guess we could have people farm them and and use those but i think it might be a lot more realistic to use something that would replicate like i mean i love alligators they're my favorite but you know something like alligator tail or we talked about this in the you know the episode before with using uh possibly green iguana or something like that. Um, I would love to do it. It's just one of those things where how are you, how are you going to have quality control with that too? You know, you're certainly not going to be buying uh, anybody's extra ball pythons and assuming that they're healthy and they don't have parasites or some horrible virus that you could spread to other animals. So, right. Yeah. Right. That's, a, that's a catch 22 there for sure. Well, I do know they use certain other types of snakes, like uh, I don't even want to say rattlesnake for food preparation or something like that. So, you know, it, it's it's out there, but then it's like now it's costly and blah, 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 blah. But a lot of the times it's one of those things that just kind of popped into my head of that people have been feeding. You always hear the story of transitioning the king cobra from snakes to rodents. And it's like, but the thing's naturally supposed to eat this. And how detrimental is the King Cobra's diet um, on it now that we've taken it from snakes to, you know, a fat rat? So, I don't know. Mm -hmm. It's 
uh, I don't know, it'd be one of those things that kind of would bug me. So, yeah, the, we um, there's a lot of zoos that have mm-hmm. you know king cobras. I mean, they draw crowds and they have a lot of the lapid stuff and a lot of viper day stuff. And um, yeah, the the cobras. It, I mean, that's the thing too. And and I don't want to sound like a broken record here, but when you're breaking down the prey and you're taking away that hair aspect, and then you're also uh, able to control the fat content a little more and all that good stuff. Um, it does wonders for species like that right off the bat, the, you know, the stuff that we're doing. Um, because you're more closely replicating if a king cobra is eating another king cobra or if it's, you know, eating another snake of any kind. Um, but, yeah, that's, I mean, that's why this is so exciting to me. Uh, you know, the sky's kind of the limit as we dig further into this and really start honing down on sourcing some of this alternative prey. Um, and, uh, I'm, I'm kind of a mad scientist, so I'd, I'd like to make it happen. Um, <laughs> it's something I brainstorm on every day and, and uh, I'm sure something's going to pop up where somebody's going to be willing to work with us and, and, uh, you know, help revolutionize feeding some of those species. So that'd be awesome. Yeah. So cool. have you had uh, any observations or maybe, you know, uh, your customers um, when it comes to overall health growth reductions in uh, respiratory infections or uh, better color, anything like that? Except, uh, Yeah, um, pretty much all of the above. Um it depends on, I guess, what examples I'd want to start with. Uh, tegus, for instance, um, we've had, and I've, I've seen this for years as well, they have a really nice sheen to them. Um, it, almost like they're, like you put oil on them. Um, their, their skin just kind of glows after they've fed on links for about two or three weeks. Um, super improved sheds. And that, that's a very tricky animal to get it sh- to shed consistently. Um, they'll retain uh, on their tail, which is a huge pain in the butt because it has these super deep rings of scales that wrap around it. And if you let those things sit for too long, it'll start to constrict the tissue very quickly. Uh, on some animals it does. Others, you could get away with it for longer. But once the damage is done, it's done. I mean, you're looking at an amputation and possibly – um, you know, necrosis and the tissue and all that good stuff. So we we essentially almost 95% eliminated those issues in that species, feeding them lynx. Um, and I started talking to some of the, the bigger breeders about this more, and it I think a lot of it has to do with the natural oils that are in a lot of the birds. Um, and I think it has to do – there is – very uh, trace amount of food grade oil because I mean you know if you're grinding anything you have to have lubrication on moving parts um, so that's kind of something that's going to be in the product in very small amounts which uh, I think is a huge uh, it has a huge effect on the shedding of the overall condition of the of the skin um, so we've seen that for sure um, in snakes. Um, I've had, I think, about 25 people 
in maybe the past six months that say, what the heck, my snake just looks shinier. Uh, it just has, like, this glow to it that it didn't have before feeding on rodents, which uh, hmm. a lot of people out there might be going, oh, this guy's full of crap, you know. Uh, no, people say this and they mean it, you know, there's a lot of people and it's, it's great because it's everything that I've seen over the years, um, where, you know, I'm second guessing myself for dedicating so much time to this, you know, on and off over the years. Like, am I really seeing this? Oh yeah, this is happening. And then, so it's so great now to where we've gotten the, the product out to such a, you know, a large group of people where you get the same things reported back. Um, now, our eyes, I've, I've never had a snake had an RI that I've fed links to, but there's way too many confounding variables there. Um, we would have to wait. That would be pending. Um, right. To see if that had any positive influence on any kind of bacterial infections um, in snakes. Um but, uh, but yeah, and the sheds, too, uh, the shed cycles of the animals are definitely improved. People rant and rave, and they did this from the beginning, about how the stools from the animals that are link-fed compared to rodents are, you know, a lot less putrid, um, and they're, they're smaller, they're, they're less messy. Um, so that, that was it huge perk for people when they're feeding like you know large uh racks especially of animals it was like the cleanup was a lot easier um so that was pretty cool uh to see as well awesome cool um i think my next my next question i had uh do you personally do you go between a um Reptilink and you know rodents, all like switching in and out. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it it depends. Uh, like now, my carpet, most of my carpet pythons, I feed them mostly links. Um, the same with uh, the king snakes. Um, and I I just found that it, they just work really well for them. Um, I'm kind of. I err on the side of caution when I'm feeding any kind of bigger rats um, because I know in the past when I've done that, I've lost animals. And some people gave me some crap for this. They said, well, if you lost animals at compaction from feeding rats, your, you know, your temperatures weren't high enough and this and that. It's like, okay, that, that might've had something to do with it, but why haven't I lost any animals feeding lynx to compaction? You know, so the proof is in the pudding for me. Um, so right. I tend to lean. I tend to lean more towards feeding links to the carpets, especially to females when I'm getting them ready to breed. Um, and then the uh, the kings. I mean, they'll pretty much eat anything, but uh, they seem to digest the links very well, um, and they're just it keeps them very active. I keep them in smaller tubs, which I don't think is great for that particular species so i want to keep them a little bit more lean i don't want them putting a lot of energy into digestion and everything so um those two i feed predominantly links um but yeah it, everything else when i go through a feed cycle in in my rooms um they get everything that's available and that could be these rats that you know one's missing a tail or something 
um, uh, these rats are like they froze wrong, so they're like in a freaking ball, and I can't vacuum seal them and fit them in a box. You know, it's going to California yeah. or something. So, uh, you know, maybe these chicks that I vacuum sealed like literally I didn't get all the beaks lined up right so a bunch punched through the bag well you know that's that's going to happen so I might go well and that goes in the feed freezer so I'll throw it in there so I literally you know when you're talking about making a stew I got a pretty good one going on most of the time (laughs) that's that's what my animals eat so and and it's funny too because you as you offer a varied diet um which you know I think comparatively to most people that keep these animals, at at least in private collections, I've kind of redefined what varied is in a certain way, but um, they, they will, they won't discriminate. And and the more that you change things up, the more they're happy with whatever they're getting. Um, Mm -hmm. So uh, a lot of people and some GTP people, um, they said, well, if I feed my, my chondro links, you know, then it's not going to go back to mice or rats. Not true at all. Uh, it, it'll go back to mice and rats, and then you can offer it a link, and it'll take that as well. Now, will it do that right off the bat? Yeah, most will. Will some hold out on you and try to manipulate you and, and <laughs> mix and match what they're trying to get? Yeah, they're they're pretty intelligent animals, so they're, they're, there's going to be some that will try to manipulate you. But as far as the interchangeability, um, between rodents and the product that we make, uh, I've never run into a problem with it and haven't had any reports of, you know, p- people getting animals stuck on links. Um, now lizards, tegus, for instance, they don't like to chew on big hairy things. Um, right. especially the Argentines, they're a, they're a sizable lizard, especially the males. They have the big jowls and a nice big wide jaw and stuff, but, uh, they don't gulp prey down like a lot of varanid species do, like the you know water monitors, whatever, black throats, um, like savannas. I don't know if you guys have kept them. I mean, they literally <laughs> and they're just that thing is gone. So I found with the tegus, they just get spoiled, and because the the links work so well, they're so easy to swallow. That's what they prefer. Um, but I haven't uh, really seen that discrimination with any of the the snake species that, that people keep that we've sold to. So. Yeah. Um, with baby monitors, I, I know I've, I've heard that it's pretty important for fresh out of the egg, little guys We're talking savannas, black throats, uh, Niles, um, to get a lot of the protein and a lot of the mix of for the probiotics to get the gut bacteria in order. Um, would you recommend like your max blend? I guess you said you blend up everything all at once. And do you even need to supplement it at all? Because a lot of times you do ground turkey, but you like attack it with a multivitamin and calcium powder. Would yours just be able to just kind of throw it in there on a plate? Oh, yeah, we can do ground prey. Uh I'm not sure. I couldn't speak to the probiotic factor that you're talking about. Are you talking mm-hmm. about specifically to black throats or? Uh, specifically to black throats mostly, yeah. So. Yeah, i i wouldn't I wouldn't be able to uh, address that. I don't I don't have enough experience with that species to say. Okay. Um, but as far as you know, fortifying and adding 
um, you know, these, these synthesized, um, you know, calcium or whether it's calcium or multivitamin, um, no, there's, there's absolutely no need that we found for that. Um, and that's what all our labs tell us. And, um, you know, that's a testament to, to the whole prey, obviously. And personally, uh, I look forward to proving out that you can't, you cannot replicate whole prey with, with, uh, store-bought, uh, say calcium carbonate or something like that. Mm-hmm. I, I don't think that is comparable to natural bone matter from what I've right. seen and, and what I've said over the years. Now I could, I could be wrong. Um, but why am I having people say their tegus are dropping off into the third year and they're becoming obese and they're getting tremors, they're getting calcium tremors and things like this. Well, yeah, it could be your lighting. You might need some UVB uh, testing. You might need to change up your lights, but a lot of it has to do with diet. Um, we haven't had any reports of tremors uh, or anything like that with, with any lizard species, but we see it all the time with store-bought processed ground uh, meat that are fortified yeah. with, you know, multivitamin or calcium carbonate, whatever it is. I think Reptical is what most people use. Um, so why is that? You know, um, I really look forward to exploring that more. Um, but as far as what we've seen, yeah, whole prey, whole prey uh, portions with the animals that we've specifically singled out to, you know, to make available, um, there shouldn't be any need for supplementation. Awesome. Nice. Now we did have that question that was from Scott as, um, as it says, has Nick ever heard the use of mutton bird oil and the associated benefits for snakes, snakes, primarily Australian elapids? Um, and he's saying the main downsides. Oh, okay. All right. Let's hear it. I have heard of that. I, it's, it's interesting and I don't even remember where I got this information, but um, it's the aboriginals, I guess, have created this market for this stuff and they basically harvest it from uh, baby birds. Oh my Um, God. (laughs) And the, the adults, uh, what they do is they go and collect uh, krill, which is, you know, a crustacean. It's basically like a little tiny shrimp from the, the sea. And then they bring it back. And they they regurgitate these little organisms to their offspring, and they they somehow literally have concentrations of this stuff, this oil um, from the krill. So that that's that's what it's from, and um, and then so they go right when before they absorb this and they extract it from you know they harvest the animals. It's kind of cruel actually if you think about it. But you're talking about the most indigenous people on the planet, right, too. I mean, they they watch these patterns and see what they need. But uh, uh, And then they they put it through this, this filtering process after they extract it from the, the baby birds. And that's uh, – what was the fellow's name again, sorry, that had that question? Scott. Uh, Scott Eper. Eper. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I I am familiar with that process, and I know that uh, you know veterinarians and 
you know, people in herpes culture or whatever, some people swear by giving like a five to 10 mil dosage of this stuff, like with feedings. Um, and they, they, they have done labs on it too, which again, you know, I don't want to sound, sound like a broken record, but where are these labs coming from? What dilution processes are being used? You know, um, they say it's really high in calcium as well. Um, but, uh, they say it, it aids in digestion. Um, so yeah, that's, that's interesting stuff. I, I think the question was its application to like cobras or a lot of the other venomous uh, lapids, uh, in Australia. I, I don't know, you know, I don't know what the long, long-term effects of that, of that would be, but, um, it's pretty interesting and I couldn't help but draw the parallel with having, you know, small amounts of food grade oil and then all the natural oils that are in larger prey birds that we use, um, having the same effect. Um, because if, if you look at any animal that's ingesting some kind of like denser, more concentrated natural mega oil like that, um, they do, they have a better sheen to them. Um, I think he said on that question too, that, the one drawback was that the the fecals from the animals that it's used on are are horrific or whatever. I don't know if <laughs> yeah. he's talking about the smell or if they're just if they're really gelatin or whatever. But um, yeah, it it makes sense that that could really help, for lack of a better term, lubricate the digestional tract of a species that has evolved to feed on lower prey, you know, lower fat prey items. And, you know, smaller prey items, it's not uh, being blasted with, you know, big rats or anything like that in the wild generally. Um, so, mm-hmm. yeah, I, I think that could really help out in a lot of ways. I, I think through trial and error of making our product, we've kind of proven the benefits of that. So that's something to explore further as well. I don't know if that answers any questions for him or if he has been using it for a long time or whatever, that would be a a nice little side uh, uh, conversation there. So, sure. Okay. Um, how about um, you know you talked about uh, uh, pre-breeding seats and then getting your females ready. Um, have you seen anything from you or your customers uh, as far as the benefits of using uh, those this product? Um, as far as slugs, quality of eggs, size of the clutch, any anything like that? I noticed uh, pretty early on that I was getting vi- more viable eggs. I never had a huge problem with that before. Um, but, right. yeah, the fecundity of it, I definitely saw an improvement. And I saw, as the years progressed, I saw larger clutches. But, and that's when I thought larger clutches were cool. (laughs) And uh, then I, then I realized that larger clutches, they're not necessarily what you're always looking for. You're looking for larger eggs. And there's, there's a big difference there because as you start to really address what you're feeding the neonates and in your, you're, you know, looking at gram weights of eggs or, you you know from certain females, um, okay, these eggs are considerably smaller than the clutch you got before or whatever. Um, it tends to happen when you do get larger clutches, I've noticed as well. Sometimes the eggs can be smaller. 
because a lot more biomass is going into each, you know, follicle. Um, so I noticed you do you can get larger clutches, but if you start to fine tune it a bit more, where you don't don't go too overboard with the caloric intake that you're giving these animals, that you can get a nice size clutch, but it's not like you know from a carpet or something. It's not like 32 eggs or whatever. It might be 20, 22, somewhere in there. But the eggs are bigger, and I've found that if you have bigger eggs, the offspring that come from those they're obviously higher in gram weight when they hatch. Um, they seem to be a bit more robust and they take off compared to if you have a clutch with smaller eggs. And when I've fed uh, lynx over the past many years, I, I've, I've definitely noticed that I've gotten larger eggs out of the clutches, um, especially in the past like five years. I've really paid a lot more attention to that. So um, that'll be really interesting to have people report back on that. We have a lot of people um, getting nice clutches on link-fed animals for the first time, you know, in, in this breeding season and the one before um, with a lot of different types of snakes. Um, ones that I've really been looking at, too, is with Laura Roberts. She's been getting really nice tegu uh, clutches, and it just puts a huge smile on my face when, you know, her lynx-fed animals are dropping these these clutches of nice-sized eggs, but like 50 or 60 in a tagu clutch, you know? Um, sure. So, yeah, we've, we've definitely seen that. Okay. Awesome. Um, uh, we sort of hit on this a little bit, but uh, frog scent, um, and I guess that's a hognose thing, which you kind of said. I don't know. Is there any other stuff that you know, people use that for, or? Yeah, the anteresia that um, people are having good luck with those. Uh, the hog nose, it's been pretty automatic with. Um, and that that's something, too, that as you have people contacting you on this stuff, I didn't realize that people were having such a hard time feeding the westerns. I thought it was just the easterns um, being a, a very specific frog specialist species. Um, but I noticed this trend with the, the hoggies that, you know, they come out of bermation or whatever. They want to stay stuck in that mode. And some of them do it, you know, obviously when they're little babies and they won't eat for like two or three or four months. And then they just kind of wither away. Um, they get really defensive when you try to feed them rodents. Um, so we, I mean, we've literally pretty much done away with that with the frog links and the frog scent. So, you know, and I went out on a limb to make this stuff thinking, all right, we can apply the simple amphibian, you know, it's a bullfrog uh, scent to a toad specialist. Um, more of the, the westerns are, you know, feeding on toads and things like that. Um, and they they just, they ran with it. So um, that was definitely awesome to see. Um, the, the fact, too, that you don't see any morphs and a lot of people really doing anything consistent with the Easterns, um, that should all change now um, because people have a consistent source of prey that they'll readily feed on with those. Um, right. I started doing I started doing trials with that frog scent, but I got to be realistic with how much time I have in the day now too since starting this thing. And I've always been busy. I mean, I was a 
sign language interpreter, high school teacher, you know, all the while keeping reptiles, doing all these different things, working at zoos, uh, working with chimpanzees and all that stuff. But, uh, you know, so I, I basically said, okay, I can do, feel, you know, I can do trials and feeding trials and do frog scent, no frog scent, do uh, frog scent with pinky mice, do it with rabbits micros or mini links and i found right off the bat that a lot of the the picky uh carpets in my racks um they went right for the frogs and i really? was like holy crap yeah they went nuts like they they went awesome. into like full like constriction like trying to tear everything and and just went nuts on it so um that was pretty awesome to see and so i i quickly realized that you know, just a new scent that may be closer to what that animal is feeding on in the wild can get you quite a ways right off the bat. Um, sure. G- GTPs, uh, I'd like for a lot more people to, to try the frog scent. We we have had a lot, but I'd like to see a lot more start experimenting with it because um, if if we have the same results as those, which, you know, I've had reports, um, of it working, then that's more incentive to, to you know, take the NLS there and and uh, start sourcing geckos or really working on that, and and that right. could basically take the headache away for for everybody. Um, <laughs> and then again, you know, it's just one more thing that you have in your toolbox that that you just didn't re- readily have available before. So, sure. Um, but yeah, I think that's still pending because we only uh, launched and made available the frog scent. Oh man, I kind of lost track of time, but it's maybe been around for seven or eight months, maybe not even that. I'm not sure. So uh, it's still you know starting to get bounced around quite a bit now. Now, why would you use the frog scent as opposed to the frog link? Just because you don't want to feed the frog link or? Okay. Uh, yeah, there's a couple different reasons for that. Uh, one is uh, it's pretty much impossible to make like a larger uh, pure frog link. Um, it's not impossible, uh, but I'm not willing. I'm not willing to do it because uh, gotcha. it's just a huge pain in the butt. Um, so what we do with all the traditionally case links is we mix the frog with a with another blend. Um, so the only frog links that we make that's just frog are the micros and minis. Um, so uh, say you you wanted uh, a different nutritional value of the same size too, instead of just being restricted to feeding the frog and the micro and mini, um, you'd right. be able to feed rabbit or whatever and, and essentially have the same outcome with the scent. Um, or as I mentioned, you know, if, if you're feeding a larger animal, um, we don't, we don't offer the pure frog uh, in those, so you'd be able to scent them with that. Gotcha. That makes sense. Yeah. Okay. Um, and then uh, I guess, you know, give us your – how do we get in touch with you for the product? Like how does it work for ordering it and all that kind of stuff? Is there a time frame? Um, yeah. Um, we started out – uh, shipping weekly. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, obviously when you start a business like this, I mean, it's pretty much organically grown. We didn't throw, you know, 
hundreds of thousands of dollars into advertising like some big-time company would where they get that mass influx um, of people trying the product. Uh, We basically wanted to put it out there, have the people see that we weren't uh, bullshitting, that this stuff works. Um, you're, you're gonna, your animals are going to get the benefits from it. You're, you're going to have an easier time feeding your animals. And we wanted it to organically grow in that nature, which is exactly what we did. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, essentially, uh, we, we started out shipping once a week, and we weren't doing the volume that we needed to initially to do that. And so uh, what we did is we transitioned into shipping once a month. And by doing that, too, we really wanted to encourage people to to order a little bit more product, you know, because let's face it, the kind of work that goes into this stuff and the overhead is, like, mind-boggling. Uh, a lot of people don't know what we go through to, to make this stuff happen and the, the quality control that's behind it. Um, so um, that's one thing to keep in mind is that, you know, we like for people to kind of be a little bit proactive right now when they want to order. Um, we ship the first uh, Monday uh, through Wednesday, sometimes Thursday of every month. Um, but, you know, the product lasts so long or most people have, you know, a fairly decent amount of animals or maybe just a few where shipping once once a month is, is completely fine for a lot of people. Um, we almost transitioned back into shipping uh, weekly, um, and then I, I pulled back from it again because we actually had some uh, big box pet stores like uh, Petco, I think it was, and then a lot of people that want to drop ship the product. But the problem with that is is that they a lot of these people have a two-day turnaround, which um, essentially that's why I keep my hair short, right? Uh, <laughs> that changes the ball game. <laughs> forever because once we do that then there's no turning back and to maintain the quality that we have and everything i i don't want to jump the gun on that and and be too pressured so that that's one thing to keep in mind when you're ordering we will trans we will transition back to a uh, weekly shipping i would say realistically within the next six months so um that'll be you know that that's a lot uh a lot more convenient for people that are wanting to initially try the product or people that just have a few animals and they don't want to order a lot of product at a time. Um, But uh, yeah, the great thing about what we do is the way that I wanted to set this up was to have everything at your fingertips. Um, Basically uh, a one-stop shop where you could not only get links that are, you know, made with absolute care with, you know, whatever prey source, you could dream of pretty much and whatever combination you want, but also to be able to get quail eggs and to get chicks and baby quail and rodents and all that good stuff. So that that's essentially what we've done. Um, and uh, yeah, we do everything on the website. Um, once you order, you're in the system and um, we're working on setting up people with accounts and everything as well. But if you do want to order, um, you can jump on the website. It's www.reptilinks, that's R-E-P-T-I-L-I-N-K-S, all one word, dot com. Um, if you have questions or anything beforehand, we strive to have the best customer service in the business. We do. 
uh, there's not a doubt in my mind. I mean, I know there's some good people out there, but we try to go above and beyond. Um, you can shoot an email also to info at reptilinks.com. Uh, a lot of people that know me well know I'm kind of like a vampire. Uh, I do customer service along with a few other people um, almost 24-7. I think it's kind of expected in this day and age now where people want that, uh, you know, that instantaneous communication. They want to feel like you care about what they're buying and they want to get information, and I understand that. Uh, some people have pushed that line a little too far, but uh, <laughs> most people are fairly, fairly respectable, you know, with it. But uh, we also have a Facebook uh, group that I created uh, is called the Link Side, and that's L I N K S I D E, one word, uh, uh, the Link Side, two words, actually. And then uh, it's not after Star Wars. My brother would probably tell you that. Like, come to the link side, come to the dark side. No, <laughs> that's not where the name came from. But uh, nice. um, so it's a great group. It's um, something that I was apprehensive to do because I saw so much crap going on in, in groups where people are just being bashed and um, all the new the the newcomers to the hobby and everything are, like, shaking in their boots because they got some – person regurgitating information that they've essentially just collected that isn't through their own experience um and they're saying no it's this way it's my way or the highway i didn't like that at all so when i set up and you know i i held out on facebook for years uh <laughs> i didn't want anything to do with it until i realized hey you know i have to use this to uh you know kind of have an influence and create something like this so um but uh we've created a really safe group there and uh, by screening people coming in, instead of just looking for numbers, I really try to go for quality and the people that understood the product, appreciated it, wanted to learn highly educated. So that's what we've, we've really kind of have over there. I think we're getting close to around 2000 members. Uh, most everybody on there uh, uses Reptilinks. They, they pretty much swear by them. Um, so that's a lot of people to tackle you know, in, in two years. So we're, we're pretty proud of that. Um, so that's a great group. That's the link side. Um, we also have a business page, uh, which is reptilinks.com. And that's, that's our Facebook page where we have more around six to, I think we're around 7,000 followers on there right now. Nice. Uh, yeah. I also, you know, take PMs on Facebook or whatever. And a lot of people, uh, that's the easy way to, to figure out, you know, what they need to order, uh, learn a little bit more about the product. So, okay. Awesome. Owen. Cool. Oh. Yes. <laughs> so like we, uh, I'll usually wrap up the show, um, with the closing questions and the closing questions are, uh, the ones that make you think as well as kind of fester you for a while. Um, so, if you could keep any species of reptiles without limitations on law or money or space, uh, what would it be and why? Me personally? Oh, I forgot what that feels like. Um, <laughs> if I could keep any, it, it, it's funny because it's kind of went from that over the years to it's not about what I want to keep anymore. It's about, mm. 
making every species, you know, species possible for people to keep. That's kind of how the paradigm shifted for me. It's, uh, it's kind of a, a greater purpose, I guess you could say, than what I would actually want to keep. But I'm a big snake guy at heart. Uh, I always have been. They've always fascinated me. Burmese pythons will always be my favorite uh, uh, species to keep. And um, if if I was a millionaire, I would have quite a eclectic group of those animals with a bunch of people to do the work for me uh, with unbelievable climate control and uh, a very high humidity. And I would have treadmills for those things too. <laughs> to fill up that big old lung and make sure everybody's happy, but that's that's in a perfect world, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> um, the little the little stuff never it doesn't quite do it for me. Although I've tried okay. to shift over into that realm of keeping, you know, a lot of the smaller species. But I like to give a, a snake a good pat, like like a dog when I feed it into the enclosure. <laughs> a lot of people want to take that right away from you. You know, it's uh it's amazing how that's shifted too with everything that's going on. I won't get into the, the politics um, behind everything, but, uh, but yeah, I would keep the big dogs. Um, that's just where my heart is. That's where it'll always be. Um, but I'm not sure that'll be a possibility in my lifetime to tell you the truth. So I really think that if I can help revolutionize and, you know, as we've discussed, emulate these diets more closely with alternative prey sources or actually sourcing, uh, you know, particular prey sources that we know the animals will do splendidly on, then that's, that's where it is for me right now. Everything that happens after I achieve that goal, then, hey, if I can build a utopia and have a bunch of Burmese pythons, that would be awesome. So, Awesome. Um, what about so, you guys? Can I turn that one back on you? I'm I'm curious as to that's happened before, and it's changed over the years. Um, Eric's is Eric. What would you do? What would I do? Well, I knew I liked yeah. you for a reason, Nick. Berms are one of my favorites too. Um, but, oh really? Uh, <laughs> yeah. Um, They're the puppy dog. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I don't know, man. That's a tough one. It probably would be uh, probably in Bricotta, Morelia and Bricotta. Yeah, I knew it. <laughs> <laughs> so what, what, what would need to be changed? I mean, it, you know, I'd like for this thing to be as proactive as possible. What, with what I've done now that you guys know more about and every, you know, everybody that's listening, hopefully it's, it's millions of people at this, this point in time, but what, yeah, how right. can I help, you know, how could I help to make that a reality? Uh, what? Me keeping Morelia and Bricotta? <laughs> yeah. How, how far are you willing to go here? Because they can easily be smuggled from Australia. Yeah. Yeah. I yeah, mean, I do it. yeah, I don't think yeah. that they have any of uh, uh, any kind of different diet per se, but um, I think they're on their way. Yeah. yeah. They um, uh, just a matter, just a matter of getting the the first groups established. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. Um, Owen Pelly pythons would be something that. Yeah, um, that's another one that's going to be interesting, and I would hope they have. Uh, 
Yeah, they they're they're kind of difficult to get going. I'm sure. Um, I can't remember what uh, Gavin used when he uh, when he did it, but I know that it wasn't rodents, and he had to like. There's a picture of it somewhere where he had. I, did you see sorry, that? I didn't hear. Are you talking about the black pythons or? No, Owen Pelly pythons over in Australia. Oh, okay. Yeah. Heard you. Sorry. Um. But I know that uh, they were difficult to uh, get established and get going. But, um, you know, I'm sure uh, Reptilinks would fix that problem, you know? I think it What's was our, what, Oh, go ahead. Oh, what what you said somebody did some alternative methods with them as far as yeah. eatings or? I think they uh, – it was some kind of bird – I can't remember exactly the species of bird, but uh, what they did is uh, he did like the old method where you would get the bird and then tie the rodent to the bird. So it would just kind of get used mm-hmm. to it that way type of deal. But mm-hmm. Oh, that's uh, that's something that I didn't touch on um, as we talked about scenting. And I know we only have the frog scent right now, but I have a few other things in the works that, if I can pull them off how I think I can, that's going to change a lot for quite a few different species. Um, that That is awesome when a species goes nuts for a bird scent, by the way, because that, you know, that's pretty easily uh, replicated. Um, it, it, I only wish it was that simple for, like, ball pythons. And Sorry to bring them up, uh, Owen. You, it's all right. It's I, okay. Just gave you a headache there. But, uh but, you know, I was really hoping that ball pythons, regardless of how they've evolved and everything, they would just, like, smash birds. Well, no, it doesn't work that way. Um, you, you know, they're all about gerbils or uh, African soft fur. So uh, that's something that I wanted to mention is that I'm going to be uh, pretty soon offering some uh, African soft fur scent um, for ball pythons. That'll be good. Um, which, nice. Yeah, yeah if it works, I mean, it's either going to work or it's not, you know? So, um, <laughs> it, it'll be, it'll be pretty exciting, uh, to, to see how that unfolds. Uh, another thing too, that I get a lot of emails and calls and people are actually like almost pleading with you at this point, like, come on, get geckos, you know, and, and yeah, bottle that please, stuff God, up. I only mm-hmm. have, I, my boat dropping a litter, like in August, so you do it before August. <laughs> so, <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. So that that would be um, probably something that's going to be a little bit further removed from the African software stuff I'm doing, but uh, it's definitely on the list too. So I just I forgot to touch on that. I wanted to bring that up. Nice. That's all right. But what I've been interested in, and it's just starting to be kind of a reality is the uh dragon snakes. Oh. Yeah. So Highly yeah. specialist. Yeah. Yeah, that uh-huh. would be uh that would be a pretty awesome uh thing to get involved with if somebody had, you know, at least a little uh sample size of those things that are fresh, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And then get to the drawing board and yeah, I don't know how many people have gone outside of the box with those, and and you know, it's like, come on, people, when are we going to stop sowing rodents to things? You know, let's 
let's try to do it in a different way. Um, I, I think that we could get them to thrive. Uh, if, if you really, somebody, you know, could do the field research and figure out exactly, uh, I'm sure this stuff is out there too. I started to explore it for a little bit, but figure out, um, you know, what exactly they're feeding on, what species of frogs and things like that. And I don't think it would be, uh, too horribly challenging to, to replicate that. Yeah, that would be, I think that would be interesting. I think that would be a cool species to have. And I'm tempted because I hear that they're coming into the United States in a pretty large bulk, which they have not been in a while. So I'm tempted to play around with them, but I'm also want to be the guy who, like, screwed up and killed all the dragon snakes that were in the U.S. So uh, maybe I'll wait for the second go round and see how everybody else does first. So, yeah, I mean, I definitely see where you're coming from, but at the same time, um, they just they won't typically eat rodents at all, right? I, I, I that's the rumor is that they yeah. will not typically eat rodents, and that so. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that would be an sure. interesting, interesting one to tackle. Those are some crazy prehistoric-looking animals. So I love them. So there would definitely be a market there. <laughs> uh, another thing is too. Um, I didn't want this to be all about oh, what's so great about our product? What's so great? All the applications. There are probably mm-hmm. a million things on this here, um, but there are other drawbacks. And, you know, I'm, I'm a really honest guy. Um, if there's something not right, I'm going to try to fix it. You know what I mean? If I, mm-hmm. if I found there's a problem with the product that I'm making, why the hell would I waste my time making it anyway and, and selling it to people? You know, so um, we talked about rupture of casings, um, which uh, I pretty much tackled that. And uh, that was a, a case of you know, getting to, you know, being able to encapsulate this stuff in a proper way, um, especially with people that are just learning how to feed and all that good stuff or you got really overzealous feeders. Um, but the other thing is, is part of what we do and why it's so valuable is that, you know, we offer such an array of sizes from the tiniest, you know, frog you could imagine or rabbit or whatever it is up to a hundred gram length. Well, I happen to, you know, love the, the giant constrictors, like, you know, the retakes, the, I'm not a huge Annie guy, but the Berms, Afrox, I mean, there, there's a lot of cool stuff with the cat eaters and um, bat eaters and all that good stuff. Um, they, a lot of these, especially retakes do very well and they need to, to reproduce at a steady rate. They need pretty high fat content foods which is hard to get in larger sizes. Um, so that is a, another project that I'm working on, and I'm going to make the, the, the freaking monster links, the mother links, the mother of all <laughs> links. Um, and that, that would essentially be, you know, a mixture of some of the leaner prey, but it's going to be denser, and there's going to be a lot more of it packed into a, you know, a feeding capsule. But, uh, you know, when you add uh, guinea pigs into the mix and things like that and these retired breeder animals, um, that could really help people 
um, keep their, the, some of these animals content, you know, instead of having to smash food to them like every second so they don't rip their faces off on the glass or whatever. So um, that's something that I'm pretty excited about working on as well. Nice. That's very That'll cool. be cool. Yeah. So um, the next question we got for you is if you could herp anywhere in the world without limitations, where would you want to go and what would you be hoping to find? Oh, my goodness. Anywhere in the world to get into the field? Yeah. That's a tough one. I'd want to go everywhere. It's so sad Mm -hmm. that my life hasn't gone in that direction so far. (laughs) Uh, You know what? I would... I'd probably want to start with uh, South America for sure. Um, Just because of the biodiversity, uh, the fact that you could probably find like, you know, hundreds and hundreds of different species. I mean, you you get into the right areas and you you don't know what the heck you're going to turn up. So um, that's probably, you know, along some of the main river systems there and, uh man, that's a tough one. See, I'm an avid angler too. Um, yeah. I absolutely love fishing, so it's always been this huge. Uh, well, do I go herping or do I go fishing? And, <laughs> uh, you know, when you when you <laughs> shovel snake shit for a better part of your life, and you're stuck in a hot room, you know, sweating like crazy, um, and you're thinking, you know, you're working with these animals. It's like, well. I could I could go to these places, but I could be on a boat fishing too. So uh, that's that's the route I've taken uh, thus far. But uh, yeah, I don't know. That's a good question. I would definitely start with uh, a lot of different areas in South America. I would probably want to to discover some of the true red tails, like up in their perches, you know, like smashing bats or something out of a tree. I think that would be about one of the coolest things you could see out in the field so hell yeah <laughs> that would be really cool that would be very cool where where oh. have you guys been uh as far as uh your your uh field ventures <laughs> um alaska and that was there aren't that many reptiles up there so that was yeah. kind of counterproductive um and then i went up into Western PA looking for uh, copperheads and timbers, and I found nothing. So that's oh. as far as I went. Florida's you know. been my spot. I've been to Florida. Yeah, you can find everything there. There you go. <laughs> yeah. Your nightingales, your true chameleons, your, yeah. your Burmese pythons, although I don't think there's as many as they say there is. My but uh, <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, gators. I love gators. That was pretty cool to see them in the wild for the first time. You know, I've seen them before, obviously, you know, people keeping them in captivity, but totally different when Mm -hmm. it's in the wild, you know? Oh, most definitely. American alligators, they're, oh, man, they're absolutely my most favorite reptile on the planet, uh, I've I've had a chance recently to, to I was in Texas and Louisiana 
And uh, I got set up where I could actually uh, hook into these things and grab them out of the water, which was a pretty awesome experience. Nice. Uh, I can't wait. Yeah, I can't wait to get back down there. Of course, we're not harming the animals in any way, but just getting pictures with them and, you know, getting up close to them. And, yeah, right. uh, you can't go wrong with uh, getting out on the canals and, and that, most definitely. That's very so. cool. All right. Well, we are going so, to probably run out of time any second. So uh, go ahead, Owen. Sorry. Yeah, do you want to you want to toss your uh, info out there one more time, just so they everybody's got it. So. Yeah, for sure. Uh, hey, and I just wanted to thank you guys for having me on again. Uh, I've done four or five of these things. Hopefully, I didn't uh, get too off topic or or. Uh, no, it's great, man. You know, yeah, hopefully people gain a different perspective from this and they have a little bit better idea of kind of what, what my mission is and, uh, what direction is headed. But, uh, again, yeah, we, uh, do the alternative praise sources. We're constantly trying to innovate and, uh, you know, come up with, with new ideas and make feeding reptiles, a, an easier task. And, uh, we're Reptilinks. It's www.reptilinks, R-E-P-T-I-L-I-N-K-S.com. Email is info at reptilinks.com. Facebook, the Linkside group. And then we have reptilinks.com. That's our business page. And then, of course, if you have any questions, you can also uh, PM me on Facebook. If I don't answer you at 3 o'clock in the morning, <laughs> I might be sleeping. Maybe. Maybe. This might Maybe. be happening. Yeah. Uh, man. Thanks for coming on, man. I appreciate you uh, spending spending the evening with us and chatting about, uh, you know, the benefits of this. Uh, you got me sold, so uh, I can't I wait can. to get oh, them and try it out, <laughs> you know? Yeah, and we appreciate you. Um, I was just talking about that with a, a few people, how, um, you know, we hope that a lot of people that are involved in the communities and, you know, people like you guys that are doing these shows, I mean, it's not going to hurt anything to give it a whirl, and uh, we really appreciate you ordering. Uh, I'll definitely uh, give you a little care package there, buddy, and we'll get you some different sizes, and then be sure to give me a holler before you uh, do some uh, trials, and we'll get you up and running. Awesome. That's awesome. Thanks, man. Appreciate that. Excellent. All right. Well, yeah, I really appreciate it once again, guys. You guys have a good night then. You too. Thanks. Thanks, man. You too. Take care. Yep. Cool. Uh, yeah, I can't wait to dig into that, man. It's gonna be. Uh, it's gonna uh, be cool. I'm gonna have to Give order because you know, I have two babies from last year that have not really been taken off the way I want them to. So why not? And also, it, depending on the pricing, if it helps. I don't know about you, but it's like for the small things. It's cheap. Mice, pinkies, fuzzies, stuff like that. And for the large things, you know, jumbo rats, guinea pigs, it's pretty cheap too. But mediums and small rats, just that those two categories, it's ridiculous because unfortunately those are the two that I need the most because I have some animals that are still growing up. I have some males that are proven males now that are still on medium rats, so not really going to bump them up too further. And it's just, that's where everything seems to sit. So if with, if these can even just pad 
or, you know, take away from the whole rodent order thing, you know, if they can help with the numbers a little bit, I'm all for it. So why not? Yeah, see, I'm not looking at it that way. I'm looking at it as fact of uh, just trying to give my snakes the best that I can, you oh, know, and trying about them. <laughs> just trying to keep them as healthy as possible. Um, I do like, I, which I didn't know, and I spent a long time on the site today, but I, I, I yeah. didn't stumble across the the fact that they do whole stuff. I love the fact that it's all in one stop. You know, I like giving my business to somebody that is, you know, where I can get everything I need and uh, develop a relationship and, you know, they know what I have and, you know, that, you know what I mean? To me, that's like, where it's at so i don't know you know i'm gonna try this out and hopefully uh i have success with it and then uh from there you know i'll just be ordering all my stuff from there why not you know what i mean (laughs) the idea of having not to drive to jersey and all that stuff but you know yeah um i'm gonna give it a whirl and if it's if it's something to add to my stuff to use with um you know it's not, it's another, it's another, you know, bullet in the gun, you know, tool to use for different yeah. stuff. Yeah. I'm certain, ex- certain animals, all for it. So. Yeah. I mean, I have, um, I have, uh, you know, I should have thought about this, you know, I should have ordered after the show, but that's okay. Um, uh, you know, but the, uh, I have some, uh, a male anteresia and I want to breed them uh, children's python next year yeah and the female she's good but you know the one of the things that makes well he's kind of he's he doesn't like taking mice you know what i mean like he takes yeah. like mice every other time and it's just like a pain in the ass well and, now that you mention it think about it like remember my albino he's a douchebag when it comes to food he just finally took his first rat in his entire goddamn life and he's like <laughs> right. so right. yeah and then also, uh, I have a female water python that's ready to roll, but my male won't get off of like small. Like he 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 has he won't transition from the small mice to like the large mice. He won't go. So he's just starting to now. It's like almost like if I could gain some ground, I might be able to even produce water pythons next year. There you go. And yeah, I'm ex- I'm excited, man. I'm excited. I, I like, you know, this is like, uh, you know, Nick said it earlier in the show, but, you know, I'm a big fan of the idea of a varied diet, but when it comes down yeah. to it, I'm not really given a varied diet, but with, with Reptilinks, you can do that and, you know, can sort of, you know, put it in there, well, uh, what you need it, at the at the time you need it, you know? And it's a good option because then it's like you're introducing quail, rabbit, a few other things that would be very hard for you to get rabbits the size that your carp pythons would need to eat. Um, it's very hard to find quail dealers. Um, nobody does frogs unless you, like, go to the reptile show and buy a frog with the specific purpose of feeding it to your carpet python. So, yeah, it's you can get everything we've always wanted. So cool stuff. Everything they would get in the wild. Yeah, good thing. Yeah, super excited about it. So if you haven't checked out the website, uh, I spent the afternoon looking at the videos over on uh, reptilinks.com. So uh, if you're, you know, want to see what it is in action and all, you know, there's a lot of good info there. There's about, I think there's like five or six videos, but um, there's tons of info uh, on there. And, uh, 
you know, uh, check it out for sure. I'm, I'll figure out how to share it and I'll share it over on the, uh, on the page or the group or whatever, but definitely check it out. Um, so yeah, let's just wrap this up. And, uh, before we cut off, um, next week we have, uh, Ian Bissell, he's back. Uh, we're going to do a Condro show, talk about what he's got going on in S and J reptiles. Uh, so, uh, that should be cool. Um, and, uh, yeah, we're what, what I say, three weeks away from Northeast Carpet Fest. Three weeks away from Northeast Carpet Fest. So if you're on the fence, don't be on the fence. I mean, look how much fun we had at Bill's spot. You know what I mean? Just do it, man. Much fun. Stop putzing around and making excuses and just go. You know, we're not talking about a trip to Australia, which costs thousands. Uh, We're talking about a trip to Warminster, PA, which may And we messed that up. Yeah. Yeah, don't be like me and Owen. (laughs) Yeah, don't, don't mess it up. Yeah. Do do so, uh, things. Yeah. June third, I would I would recommend that if you are going to uh head up, uh go over and uh ask to be a member of our group, Northeast Carpet Fest. Um and uh we'll get you in there and that way you can keep up to date with what's going on and all that kind of stuff. We got some uh some cool stuff this year. I think uh it'll be a good time, cool people coming. And, uh, yeah, I'm just looking forward to hanging out, man, you know, having, uh, having, uh, you know, it makes me a little nervous, like people coming to check out my collection and like going to be like judged and shit, but, you know, (laughs) but that's how I'm going to walk in there and see, I see one snake turd I'm leaving. So. (laughs) So, uh, but yeah, um, so we got that. Uh, let's see. What else? Uh, okay. As far as us, MoreliaPythonRadio.com. That's our website. Our email is info at MoreliaPythonRadio.com uh, for questions or comments on shows, guests, all that kind of stuff. Um, and, oh, I didn't say the date for the Northeast Carpet Fest. June 3rd. June 3rd. Uh, you said it like numerous times, but whatever. Oh, I did. Okay. Yes. Uh, and what else? For me, ebmorelia.com, and my email is eric at ebmorelia.com. That's all I got. Cool. Uh, what I got is you can go to rogue-reptiles.com. We're in the process of updating the website. Holy crap. So stay tuned for all that stuff, new bios, new animals, a little lineage information for the past two years' worth of clutches. So they'll all be up there for your viewing convenience. Uh, we don't have any shows scheduled from now till October Tinley. So that does not mean we cannot deliver animals to any of the shows in the tri-state area. That would be White Plains, Hamburg, and Habitat Grace. Uh, let us know if you see any animals you like. We're still waiting. The new clutch of Super Caramel Jags have just hatched, and we'll be having their first shed soon. We will post them up as they become available after they have their first feed. Uh, stay tuned for the rest of it. Other than that, I would just remind everybody that after we're done with all this Carpet Fest nonsense, we're going to do the calendar competition. So get your cameras out and get That's ready right. to roll because, you know, here we go. Time, time's uh, a wasting. <laughs> yeah, and we're getting into the good weather. So, you know, do, do, do things. Go, go do things. So that's all I got. That's all we got. So what we'll say is thank you all for tuning in, and we're going to catch you all next week for some more Morelia Python Radio. Good night.